Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. As you know, my good friend Jason Harrison, the founder of Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, has passed away within a matter of days ago. And the whole hunting community is in shock. All his family and friends obviously are in shock. And we're just so distraught about the tragedy that's happened. And I've tried on my Instagram account uh, some of the hunts that I was on with Jason I have tried to uh, bring out some of those videos where people could see the guy that he was and and, um, just try and shed light on on some of the things that he accomplished and that he did. And I I got to thinking um, I had done a bunch of podcasts with Jason. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and find some of the better podcasts that I did with Jason uh, and I'm going to bring them back to you. And I think I've been listening to them myself and I've gotten a lot of value out of them. And I've been able to reminisce about Jason and the guy that he was and the passion that he had for the hunting business. And uh, I just think a lot of people are going to get um, a lot of value out of listening to what he had to say, whether you're building a business, whether you're hunting, whether you're, you know, whatever you're doing. Uh, I think there's lots of great tidbits uh, throughout these podcasts. So, uh, guys, um, on Instagram, I love the hashtag KuyuStrong. And um, I also, uh, Jason's family has asked, um, in lieu of flowers or or anything like that, to donate to um, the uh, CTE uh, studies and and foundation. They're, They're... they're studying uh, the effects of CTE, and I'm going to put a link for that in these show notes. And um, to all of Jason's, you know, to the whole Kuyu Nation, to Jason's family and friends, um, you know, this is a very, very difficult time. And I thought one of the best ways to um, highlight some of the things that Jason has done is to bring back his own voice and to um, replay some of these podcast episodes. So um, it's going to be tough to listen to, but I think um, in listening to all of these, I've, I've just gotten a, a new appreciation for uh, some of the things that he stood for and what have you. I want to thank you guys, the listeners, for this podcast, your loyalty to this podcast. And I also want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. Obviously, Kuyu, uh, Ultralight Hunting, Kuyu.com. Jason Harrison and his whole crew over there at Kuyu has been a sponsor of my podcast uh, for well uh, for for many years now, and I want to thank them for their sponsorship. And I want to let you guys know that Jason surrounded himself with a great team, and he's got a, a great staff over at Kuyu. And yes, losing the founder, losing the president, you know, Jason was a huge part of. Of, of the success at Kuyu, but he does have a phenomenal team. Uh, the team is rallying. I was over there for the funeral and was able to talk with a lot of the employees and a lot of the staff at Kuyu, and they are rallying. They are going to uh, help Jason's legacy live on, and I think they're going to do a phenomenal job. So uh, I appreciate all of you guys' support, the Kuyu Nation support of Kuyu, and I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship of the podcast, you can go to KUIU.com and check uh, out all of the different products there. 
And I also want to thank GoHunt.com. Cody Nelson, who is the glassing guru and the optics authority, is the new optics manager at GoHunt.com gear shop. You can call Cody directly for info sales at 702-847-8747, extension 2, or email Cody at optics, O-P-T-I-C-S, at GoHunt.com. Uh, Cody has promised me that he's going to take care of the J. Scott Outdoors listeners, so make sure to give Cody a call if you have any optics needs, whether it's spotting scopes, binoculars, rifle scopes, tripods, etc. Also, Canyon Coolers. Use the J. Scott promo code to get a 10% off all Canyon Coolers products. Go to CanyonCoolers.com. Canyon coolers.com use the j scott promo code to get 10 percent off all orders guys let's get right to these episodes and i appreciate your support welcome to the j scott outdoors podcast today is going to be a fun episode i've got jason harriston the founder of Kuyu Ultralight Hunting on the line, and I also have the brothers Travis and Brad Wiest from Texas uh, on the line, and uh, Travis and and Brad own the Natural Caverns in San Antonio, Texas, just outside of San Antonio, and I became uh, acquainted with Travis uh, last year on a desert bighorn sheep hunt in Arizona. Travis had drawn uh, a tag in unit 15d and uh, Travis and Brad are, are both big hunters but they're big archery hunters and Travis uh, wanted to do the hunt with his bow and he came out and got a nice 10 year old ram with his bow and um, we had had a great time Brad was able to come and join us on the hunt and uh, everything went great and I was actually uh, invited to go to the Weast farm uh, this spring and and get to see the cavern and uh, the cave and and uh, the ranch uh, and got to hunt some turkeys and saw a bunch of hogs. It was just a great time. And today we are going to have a podcast. Uh, Brad and Travis are actually going to Arctic Red River on a combo hunt and um, for doll sheep, mountain caribou, and moose. And um, they are Kuyu. Uh, they they are Kuyu junkies like myself. And uh, they had some questions about some of the gear, and uh, they haven't been to Arctic Red River, and Jason, uh, uh, the founder of Kuyu, had, and, and I thought it would make a great podcast to get everybody together uh, so that the Weiss brothers could uh, talk to someone that's been there and done that, and uh, so we're going to have a great podcast uh, guys, uh, I'll, I'll let you take it from here, and I'll try and fill in where I can. Uh, Jason, uh, first and foremost, how are you doing? Uh, it seems like you've been real busy as of late, like always, and um, there's a lot of new Kuyu gear coming out. Maybe you start out by um, just telling me how things are going at Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Jay, things are great. We've had a, a great first half of 2017. It was Sales and, and customers uh, continue to that so continue to support this brand are just fantastic. And we're not just growing here in the United States, but internationally as well. We've got some exciting new stuff uh, happening. Last month, with the the launch of our new mobile showroom, 
which has had just an amazing response of the first three cities we hit. Uh, we were just in Seattle last weekend and lined to get in the truck for three straight days. It was just it was just so so amazing to see the response to it and see everybody's reaction to the truck and be able to see and touch and feel our product in person. For those that have never made it to a trade show or to our stores, it's been a great experience. It was beyond what we anticipated as far as the response and, and the reaction of our customers, and we're just, we're just thrilled with that. And then we launch our new international website that will cover Canada and shipments into Europe uh, later this month, and that's something that we've been working on for a long time. We want to service those customers and those markets in a much better way. And so our products will be able to get to customers in Europe in three to five days with localized returns and exchanges and, and allow more people in those countries to experience Kuyu, which is – Something I'm really excited about. Um, so all those all those initiatives and all those things we've been working on have kept me running at a million miles an hour. But it's what I love and and never feels like work. Yeah, you know I've been following the Kuyu World Tour and um, seeing the the pictures on Instagram and and uh, talked to Brendan a little bit. He just said it's just been a phenomenal response and. Um, one question I would have for you before we get into the podcast in regards to, um, you know, the mobile showroom, as far as I understand, uh, every piece of Kuyu gear in every size is on the truck. So in other words, anybody that is interested uh, in, in coming out, they're going to be able to touch it, feel it, try on and see exactly what size they are. But every you know, there's. It's not like it's you know half of what you have. Every piece of gear you have is there. It is, and we can help put together a skin to shell layering system. You can try it all on. We can put you in our packs. We have weight. You can test out our packs in a full system. I mean, get you totally dialed for any upcoming hunt you may have right there in person. And then we just fill out an order form. It ships to you the following week. It's a great way for people who haven't experienced our products or haven't seen everything that we make and be able to touch and feel and try to include like the tents and sleeping bags and the new boot line, it's a great chance for people to, to get in and feel and test our products. I know you and I have talked before, so, Jason. Uh, I know we've talked before about one of the issues with going directly to the consumer is without having, you know, retail spaces where people could do that other than, say, you know, SCI convention and some of the, you know, wild sheep shows and some of that. Um, I, I thought it was the store here. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a tough it's the toughest side of our business for people. Yeah, and so by going to them uh, direct with the mobile showroom, it's just a phenomenal um, idea, and it's I think it's just another thank you another thing of you guys putting your foot forward to be customer first. You know, it, it's exactly what I did a better way to serve our customer to give them a better experience, and it gives us the flexibility and mobility that a you know opening retail actual physical retail stores, which is something we're considering as well doesn't do is is get the product out to multiple markets and allow more people to to see and experience and feel our products as you see in the trade shows somebody that's never seen our products in person or hasn't become a kuyu customer when they do see see our product line they're able to feel our fabrics they're able to look at our carbon fiber pack frames and feel how light our packs are or tents whatever it is that we make they see the difference instantly and they become a customer so it's just giving that experience uh to more people is the goal with it for sure. I know you've got uh, some hunts um, that you're training for right now, and I'm sure the guys are going to be asking yep. you questions. But for the listeners uh, out there, uh, what, do you, what do you have going on here for hunts coming Well, up? the one that's that's got my attention right now is an upcoming stone sheep hunt up with uh, 
or Thompson up at Gundahoo in north northern BC, and I've got the uh, you know the joy to take uh, Donald Trump Jr. with me on that hunt. So it'll be the two of us hunting together. Brendan's going to come to assist, and uh, so that's going to be a, an interesting hunt hunting with with Junior. We're, we're good friends, and it's a trip we planned uh, a couple years ago to hunt. He's never hunted stone shoot before, so it's going to be it'll be fun to spend time with him. Spend time with him in the mountains versus uh, in New York or or previously on the campaign trail. So I'm looking forward to it. I know he is too. Yeah, I'll bet that's going to be a fantastic hunt. I can't wait to see. Um, obviously, you guys will be taking your normal phenomenal photos, and and will the hunt be videoed as well? We will. We will bring camera. We don't bring an actual video cameraman on this trip, but we will have a video camera with us, and we're going to trade off self shooting at Brendan and I. Are. Cool. Uh, yeah, we'll have video footage, uh, and Paul Bride will be there. She does amazing, amazing imagery that he always does. So, looking forward to it. Cool. So, uh, Travis, Brad. Yeah. How you guys doing? And we're doing doing great. It's uh, starting to feel like summertime here in Texas, so uh, we're looking That's forward it. to the Northwest Territories, Mackenzie Mountains uh, weather that we'll get to experience in September. Careful. Careful what you ask for. <laughs> well, yes, I, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we may get we may get that in spades, right? So you'll you'll see it all that time of year, man, man. Well, we are we're looking forward to picking your brain uh, on uh, on that and on on gear selection for it. But uh, man, just a little a little intro to to us, Jason. And first of all, man, we really appreciate the opportunity to uh, get to visit get to visit with you and and Jay. Thanks for making making this happen um yeah, my, my absolute ple- my absolute yeah. pleasure guys i mean this is one of my favorite things to do with is to working with our customers to get them you know set up for a trip and make sure that they maximize their experience while they while they're there well it's it's awesome that you take the time to to do that you know with your with your customers that's really cool but uh so travis and i jay had mentioned uh that uh, natural bridge caverns uh down here in Texas is our family business, so Travis and I are uh, cavemen, actually, and uh, we, uh, we're third-generation uh, managers of our family business, and uh, the cavern was discovered on our family's ranch, uh, and our family has uh, been on the land uh, since 1883, so uh, Travis and I are the, the fifth-generation uh, owners, and we still, still ranch it uh, to this day. Um, Travis and I have been hunting all of our lives. We grew up hunting with our dad and, and hunting together. I think Jason, kind of like kind of like you, I think you you know started out hunting with your dad and and your yep. brother and and so you know it's it's been a, a family tradition, kind of a family thing for he and I and and uh, we're already introducing our children uh, into into hunting and and they're they're crazy about it. Uh, as we are, uh, Travis and I started out uh, primarily rifle hunting, whitetail uh, in Texas, and and then just uh, kind of branched out from there. We've been really hardcore bow hunters for gosh, probably over twenty years now, and uh, have hunted and taken tons of, of whitetail and. Hogs and you know what's traditional in Texas. We've we've uh, bow hunted mule deer. Uh, we've we're uh, just diehard elk hunters. Love elk hunting uh, so much that we bought a ranch in Colorado 
and we've got phenomenal elk hunting uh, at that place and, and love that. Um, we've hunted in Africa, uh, South Africa. I've been to Tanzania um, and uh, Travis and I, we've been to uh, Alaska, uh, moose and, and uh, grizz hunting and I was fortunate to take a, a uh, grizzly with my bow on that trip. Um, I've done some, some grizz hunting in British Columbia um, and uh, so we, we've, we've, you know, we've hunted a lot. We've got a lot of hunting experience. We have a lot of experience spot and stalk and harvesting animals with gun or with a bow. Uh, we've done a lot of do-it-yourself hunts, and it really hasn't been until kind of later in our hunting careers that we started, you know, taking the opportunity to go on some guided hunts and 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 be with be with guides and. Uh, um, and so, um, as far as our experience backcountry hunting, it's uh, Travis and I both kind of consider ourselves uh, rookies on that. I've I've um, done a few uh, total rookie. <laughs> <laughs> Travis is total rookie. So I did just real quick, Jason. I've I've been on two backpack hunts in BC for grizzly, and the longest time we were out was was four days. And uh, and uh, that trip we had planned on being out longer, but my my uh, guide who uh, probably weighs 140 pounds, soaking wet, he's just was bone and muscle. And when he did the calorie calculations, he didn't quite get the calories calculated right for my um, six foot two at that time, probably 210 pounds. <laughs> and so we came off the mountain starving. But uh, um, so I've done a little bit, a little bit of back. Uh, backpack hunting and uh, mm-hmm. but uh, you know no, nothing extensive like what Travis and I are, are about to experience uh, up there in the McKenzie's with Arctic Red. Um, Travis really did he did most all the work organizing you know researching and, and lining up the hunt and he's he's really awesome at, at doing that. Um, we are going to be uh, hunting from uh, where our trip is uh, 20 days of hunting and we'll be up there September the 8th through the 27th and and uh, so you know Tavis his uh, he's told us that the daytime temps could range from 50 to 60 and nighttime could be 15 degrees to 30 degrees but uh, you know we know how it is in the mountains and things can change you never know what you're going to get served up um, oh, they're, gar- they're guaranteed to change yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. One thing you can so, count on on this trip and those dates. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that's what we were thinking, and so you know we have we and, and we didn't want to cover things that you know you guys have done on other podcasts, and we we've, we've watched your videos and and Brennan's too, and and so we didn't want to you know ask the exact same things, but we we know that just by being there at a different time of year can. Can mean that you'd probably make different choices in your in your preparation and your gear selection, and so we, you know, we thought that uh, it would be real pertinent to just get your advice on all of these things, um, you know, for our trip, for when we're going to be there and what we're going to be experiencing. Um, Tavis did tell us that we uh, would probably change locations. Um, yeah, once, I imagine. Yeah, maybe twice in the hunt, and he said we could even have like a moose bag packed if we wanted to have some different stuff they would drop to to us or or whenever we change locations going you know 
from uh, hunting doll sheep first, you know, we could we could switch out some gear if we if we needed to if conditions warranted. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so we were you know really kind of starting out hoping to you know it's awesome that you've been up there and, and hunted in the in those mountains and and uh, so we want to you know want to hear about. Um, your experiences there and um, and then how you know how the location and and the time of year can affect your gear choices and and uh, and then just something else to mention you know Travis and our brothers we we love hunting together we uh, you know as you know how this hunt goes we're we're pretty much travel buddies traveling up there and back and then while we're out hunting we're you know we'll be going off our separate ways with our our guides and maybe a couple ridges over but still it's it's just awesome to be able to go up and be in such a remote you know incredible beautiful uh place uh you know out there and and uh testing our our abilities pushing our bodies to the limit and and enduring the elements and you know we love love doing that in pursuit of incredible animals and just feel like it brings us closer to God. So we're we're really really looking forward to it. Well, Travis, I'm glad to see you're you're breaking yourself into backpack hunting with a starter hunt up in Arctic Red for 21 days. Yeah, you know, Jason, it's uh, I'm either going to come back <clears throat> absolutely loving it, or I may never go again. But I I really think it's going to be the first. <laughs> so uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm pretty confident that I'm gonna I'm gonna just absolutely love it. I can't wait to find out what the answer to that question is going to be. As I tell customers that that come into our store or I talk to on the phone that haven't been on a sheep hunt before, especially like a backpack style hunt like this will be, you, there's not a lot of middle ground on it. You'll either in three days decide whether you this is something that you want to do the rest of your life and it's all you can think about and it consumes you every day or you'll never want to go again. There's not a lot of <laughs> middle ground on backpack sheep hunting up north that are that are in tough conditions like this. If you like yep, the stuff, well, you, like, you, you can appreciate uh, a lot of hard work and what that feeling is like after you accomplish your goal, it's there's nothing there's nothing that will come close to it. You guys will be um, you, that country up there, and the sheep, and that area is is second to none. It's absolutely amazing. I, awesome. I'm so excited! To, I'm so excited to find out uh, if I love it or hate it. <laughs> well, it sounds like from your hunting experience and how much you guys are devoted and committed to hunting that you guys will love it. I, there's nothing I think like it. So. Uh, we, yeah, that. Yeah, you brought up some. You brought up some good points. I mean, that that trip being a twenty-one day trip, the dates that you're that you'll be up there, um, you're going to have a wide range of conditions. You'll watch it go from fall into the start of winter in those dates because you're really. I mean, that area is the farthest north territory in the in the Mackenzie Mountains to hunt. So you're just mm-hmm. below the Arctic Circle. So you're going to see you're going to see a lot of beautiful changes that time of year from like I said from fall into the start of winter as you finish up your hunt and you're going to you're going to be able to see a, a lot of movement in the game you're going to see a lot of things happening up there with the moose rut with the caribou migration and the movement of sheep out of the high country to the lower country which creates a lot of opportunities and I know in talking to Tavis in the past about that particular hunt and those dates it's a great opportunity to, to find animals that they haven't found during the summer that they just never located. And uh-huh. um, they've had the chance to kill some really big sheep that time of year and obviously some giant caribou and moose as well. They've got some tremendous moose hunting up there. And they just don't right. hunt moose. Uh, they've got a huge area, and, and they just don't harvest a lot of moose out of there. So the chance to kill something big and old is, is in all species is really there for you guys. 
Um, and that's just a, a that's a hunt I've considered doing um, on several occasions. I've ne- I just never have gotten to a point where I could take off 21 days to go do it yet. But it's well, kind of on my list. So I'm in, our I'm wives in, are not happy about it, Jason. Uh, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> they may be thrilled. They're just acting like they're disappointed. <laughs> I think what Tavis is mentioning about separating out gear for your moose hunt um, yeah. separate from your sheep hunt makes sense because you're going to be up in the high country for sheep. You're also going to find the caribou you know, at the same elevations you're finding sheep. You can also find them in lower elevations down in the valley bottoms, but in the same areas as you're hunting sheep, you'll probably end up shooting your caribou as well, typically, okay. unless, unless you don't find one to shoot or if you've had early weather that's pushed them down. Um, which mm-hmm. you'll catch them on, on their migration routes. But you're going to have a, the ability to hunt them either way. Uh, I, I would imagine they're going to put you on sheep to begin with because that's going to be the toughest species to harvest, and you're going to want to spend the most amount of time you know, hunting sheep and, and making sure you get a ram before you yep. go down and hunt. Uh, and then if you have the chance to kill a caribou in the area with the sheep, um, that's just a bonus. And then they'll, I would imagine they'll move you down into the area where the moose will be, and you'll probably catch um caribou migrating through there as well from my experience up there i've been up there four times and okay. it's it's an it's incredible country it's really huntable country and the way the mountains are set up there there's some steep steep mountains but the elevation climbs from the valley bottoms to the peaks aren't undoable um and the valley bottoms what's great about that area of the mckenzie's is there's not a lot of brush and alders you won't see devil's club or experience the stuff you've experienced in bc or yeah. even alaska it's really huntable stuff. You can move through that country um, pretty easily in consideration of other areas you can hunt sheep, sheep in that you'll find in, in other locations. That's one of the great things about the Mackenzies is the terrain and, and then the, uh, you know, the latitude. There's, it's so far north that there's just not a lot of – you don't have to deal with the brush and the alders like you do in other areas further south. Which nice. I love. That's great. Yeah, and um, – so I, you know, for for the sheep portion of your hunt, you guys are really going to want to focus on um, being really smart about what you pack, and mm-hmm. you know, putting together a comprehensive gear list for your sheep portion of your hunt. One of the things that I always recommend is building a gear list, and we have examples we can email to you. But the the goal of the gear list is to make sure you have everything you need in your pack, obviously. But I, what I think is even more important is make sure you don't have anything you don't need and you don't overpack and really focus on keeping that pack weight down because you could be walking 10 to 12 hours a day in that country and every ounce, every pound day in and day out adds up. And so a gear list will keep you from overpacking and you, in that country, that time of year, you'll be surprised at, at how little amount of gear you really need if you bring the right stuff and you have a comprehensive layering system put together that will cover a range of conditions, and um, but you 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 know as I've seen with customers or I've seen people at Norman Wells, which is the city you'll base out of before you fly into base camp, and go, going mm-hmm. through people's packs for them, most people overpack. They think it's going to be really cold, or they're, they're going to they think they just need a lot more gear than than they actually need in that country because they just have this vision of everything frozen, everything super cold, and they just and they end up bringing way too much product. And mm-hmm. that just weighs you down, fills up your pack, and, and makes, makes the, the hunt difficult before you even step into the mountains. And so what I'd really try to focus on is, is 
a, a narrow gear list um, using products that can have multi-purposes within your system. And that allows you to kind of really focus on reducing the whole kit weight and the amount of kit that you'll have in your packs. And um, so, I mean, for, for me on, on that northern hunt, um, obviously you're going to want to have great base layers to choose from, either, or, either a synthetic or a wool. It depends on what you prefer and what you're used to. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, have you guys, are you guys have our, our base layers? Yeah, Jason. We so I, I I didn't mention this earlier, but we are we we've been uh, fans of your your gear from well really from from uh, when you founded Sitka. Travis and I bought Sitka gear the very that very first year it came out and wore it on a on a Quebec uh, caribou hunt, and then you know wore that for years, and then we were customers the very first year that you rolled out Kuyu, and so we have been, I mean, literally, Traps and I almost own every piece you have. I mean, there's a few we don't, but uh, we're kind of addicted to it now. Um, but we've been, we've been using your gear, and we've been, you know, hunting hard in it for a long, long time. So, yeah, oh, we've got a lot of experience. Good. I never... I never understood how my wife could be so giddy about clothes until, like, Kuyu came, and all of a sudden, like, now I get a package <laughs> in the mail, and she's like... I, she's like you're you're like a little kid, and I'm like I know it's <laughs> terrible. Oh, thanks, you guys. I, I yeah. love hearing that. <laughs> yeah, I know. But so hey, Jason, we've got so we've got a comprehensive gear list, um, and we've we've got we've got a, a, a comprehensive list of questions for you too about it. So Great. before we yeah, dive, maybe start there. Who, dive into your, who, yeah, who, where'd you get the gear list from? Well, I got I've, I've done a lot of research, and uh, you know we've been planning this trip for years, and uh, I booked okay. it two years ago. And so uh, I got a, a gear list from you guys, um, and uh, I've got I've researched gear lists on the internet. Uh, I've been a hunting fool member okay. for a long, long time. I've got Garth Carter's gear list that he used, and I've looked at other gear lists and articles that they've come up with, and guys like uh, Brian Martin and, and and other folks. And so just you know, kind of wherever I could, I've just kind of looked at looked at a lot of stuff and and done a lot of research. And so, but. Uh, the uh, be a great place to start. List, so I wanted to ask you about hunt hunt prep and training. Great, if that's okay. Please. Yeah. So how do you, I? I want to just I want to talk for a minute. How you train and prepare for your hunts, and you know, and then you know, I'm curious. Have you ever been on a hunt that you felt like you weren't prepared enough for? Uh, I have. Yeah, absolutely have. How old are you guys? You don't mind me asking. I'm 40, and Brad's 44. Okay. Yeah. So we're we're similar age range i'm 45 okay um, yeah and i have and and you know training for me has changed over the years when i was younger as you guys have probably experienced it didn't take as much mm -hmm. um to train in advance of a hunt as it does today and the style and type of training i've had to continue to evolve as i've gotten older and um really what's what i've had to, to go to is more focused training around actually you know um, training for for a backpack hunt, using a pack and weight in advance, and really working mm -hmm. on the biomechanics and the muscle groups that a, carrying a pack weight pack with weight uh, will require on a hunt. When I was younger, I used to just come in in, in good good enough shape and throw a pack on and can go ten days, and it really wasn't as important as it is today. And okay. you know, for me, it's a, it, training is, is a year round event for me, and it changes throughout the year. My my goal is to come into a hunt and peak for that hunt, like a 
cyclists would do for a, a Tour de France. And mm-hmm. if you study cycling and training for cycling like I have, you realize that you can't just be in tip-top shape year-round or you'll burn yourself out and your, and your system won't respond when it needs to for a big event. So my okay. training is focused for, for August every year. And, you know, I go through the off-season of, of continuing a cardio base coming out of season, but cutting it back, getting more back into strength training through the wintertime. And then as I get into the spring, start to layer in more cardio workouts. That includes running on a treadmill, trail running, and, um, and, also some weight, and also weight training three to four days a week to continue to keep my strength. And then as I'm coming into this time of year, I'm less than 60 days out of my sheep hunt. My cardio training continues to increase. I do interval training one day to two days a week on a treadmill, on a hill workout that I do on the treadmill or outside. And then from about 60 days out, which I started doing back in towards the end of May, I start training with a pack and weight. And I don't advise training with a pack and weight year-round because it's just hard on your joints over time. Uh, okay. But within 60 days of your hunt, I recommend starting to train with a pack and weight. And you can do that on a treadmill um, to build your base, but really you need to get outside in your boots. And, and I'll start with 50 pounds and work my way up to 90 pounds before, the, before I go on the hunt to okay. really over, overload my legs with the, with the heavier weights towards the end so that when I get in my 50, 40, 50-pound pack, it feels light and yeah, um, and that just gives you you're really kind of um, just a mental advantage too when you throw on your pack and it seems light compared to what you've been training with prior to the hunt. Yeah, but I'll spend okay. um, during the week I'll spend uh, an hour try to get a, at least a couple hours of of pack uh, with weight training on either a treadmill or outside, and then on the weekends I'll try to set up you know back to back or even like on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday three days in a row with heavy pack training and mm-hmm. trying to get two to three hours in with a heavy pack on three consecutive days, try to mimic three hard days in the mountains. And then I'll recover on mm-hmm. Monday. Back on Tuesday, I'll do an interval workout with a pack on on the treadmill um, and then spend a, and another another interval day on Thursday with a pack with weight on and, and then some easier days with packs and weights on the treadmill, but then back in on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with some longer events back to back, so your legs aren't recovered when you're going to the next day. Okay. And then, um, about a week before the hunt, I'll taper back down, let my muscles recover, let my legs and joints recover, and then I'm ready to go on the hunt. Mm-hmm. So I'm and as I get closer, I'm increasing weight. Okay. Each week, I'll, I'll throw so another back, five, back another down. ten pounds. Of- your back down period is pretty much just a week. Then, or, or in, in uh, that yeah. week, are you are you doing anything? Yeah, I'll do a couple easy cardio days without any pack weight just to get my heart rate up and to sweat. I found that better for me. I've taken just a complete week off and then go into the hunt, and it kind of knocks my system because oh. you've had so much yeah. rest going into it. And you'll see on the travel, just the travel to get up there, you don't have a lot of activity. You're sitting around a lot. Mm-hmm. I found yeah. it a day or two within that week, not hard, just to get your heart rate up and break a sweat, maybe an hour of cardio on an elliptical or on a mm-hmm. Stairmaster just to keep your, your system used to the cardio workout, and then, but nothing hard. Um, and then I'm better doing that than taking a week off prior to and having no activity. Okay. Awesome. Gotcha. Do you do any kind of carb loading or, uh, prior to leaving for the trip? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ramp up on my carbs. I'll ramp up on my fats. I think fats are more important than carbs, personally. Okay. Um, so I, you know, Why, a lot of red, a lot of red. Oh, fat will, fat, carbs will burn. Fat will, you'll store. And it has higher calories. And um, you want to try to load up on those, you know, last couple of weeks before the hunt. I'll try to put on weight before the hunt because you're going to take yeah. that fat off. Any fat stores you can get. Um, you just want to juice your system with fats and carbs prior to uh, going in. And I think fats are now more important than carbs. And the research kind of points to that direction, too. Jason, how much weight do you typically lose on a hunt like this? You know, it'll kind of depend on how in shape you are going into it, but you can lose uh-huh. a pound a day. Okay. Yeah. Now, 21 days, will you lose 21 pounds? Probably not. Your system will kind of start to get used <laughs> to it. But initially, you'll lose, you can lose a pound a day very easily. I mean, you, if you think about, you know, if for me, uh, if I'm training for an hour, I'll burn over 1,000 calories. And you times that by a 10 or 12-hour day. And yep. you can just start to run the math on your calorie deficit. And there's just no way you're not going to lose a pound a day. I've, I know people that have gone in that aren't in great shape that lose, can lose two pounds a day. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Wow. Oh. So, 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 so for those yeah, guys, that could be like it, 40 pounds. It, it, <laughs> it, well, your body will, on a shorter hunt, you can lose, like on a 10-day hunt, you can lose, I know guys that lost 20 pounds. Wow. But on a longer hunt, your system will start to get used to it. Yeah. When you guys get down and start hunting the moose and, and potentially the caribou, that hunt won't be as difficult as hunting the sheep. And your calorie okay. burn will be a bit less. You'll get better food when you're probably hunting for moose. They'll do a food drop for you or several uh-huh. food drops. And you'll be able to cook better food down in those areas. It's, when you're up sheep hunting, you're living on a dehydrated food and just kind of snacking throughout the day in between those meals. And that's where you'll yeah. really lose the weight. Yeah, I got you. And then the other, gotcha. the other key thing for, for me for training is not only getting your legs in shape, but getting your feet in shape. Mm. And a lot of guys don't talk about that, but spending time in your boots and going outside and, and training in uneven terrain, purposely finding areas you can side hill in in your boots with heavy pack weight. And um, I also will, will you know, my goal is to actually blister my feet, and I can do that through training in the middle of the day in hot weather. With a heavy pack, and you throw your boots on, you throw your pack on, and, and train in the heat. The heat will also increase your cardiovascular training as well because it makes it, you know, obviously much harder on your okay. system. And any way you can, my goal is to make my training harder than my hunt. And you obviously can't spend 10 hours, 12 hours a day training. So <laughs> I try to maximize the intensity and the difficulty of my training in shorter periods. So Heavier weights, walk faster than I normally would, do it in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, um, walk in uneven terrain. And the uneven terrain and the heat will blister your feet during mm-hmm. training, which will build your calluses over time. And so you don't have any concerns about blisters in the mountains by doing that. It sounds kind of barbaric. My wife always looks at me every, every year and goes, Jesus, look at your feet. And, uh, <laughs> but it gives me that insurance that I don't have to worry about it when I'm there, which I've seen guys lose days of a hunt because their feet are so blistered. Yeah. You're just an uneven train. Your feet are going to be sweating. You're, you're, they're going to get wet, and, um, you know, that can lead to, to blisters. Jason, Jason you, you go to the point that. where you actually, do, do you 
I mean, when, when you say blistering your feet, do you go to the point where you know, okay, I'm about to develop blisters, or do you take it all the way until you rub, I mean, you know. Oh, I've, I've, oh I've gone, I'll take, if I'm going on a three-hour hike that day and I'm starting to get blisters, I'll just keep going. Really? Yeah. Okay. And I don't know a lot of people that do this. <laughs> people think I'm crazy about it, but uh-huh. um, yeah, I'll come back from a three-hour hike in the heat, and I'll have blisters on my toes and the back of my heels. Um, and it's weird; it doesn't happen, you know. And in, in if I go train in the morning yeah. or when it's cooler, it happens with heat. And I think it's your feet swell; they get really yeah. sweaty, and they'll end up blistering. And you know, even with boots that are well broken in, that'll happen to me every year. Really? Okay. You brought up a good subject. What do you do to uh, deal with blisters if you get one, you know, on a trip? I don't get them because I get them before and then cow okay. I don't have to deal with them, right? And I, that's, that's why I do it. Um, you know, it, it, what I've done in the past is duct tape. It's about the only thing I can find that yeah. will stay on for a period of time because the blister care stuff they have out there, when you put your feet in those boots and you're getting that sweaty and covering that many miles, it just it ends up just balling up and, and coming off. And then it's a, then it can actually be a pain in your butt because it's down in your boots and you got to pull your boots off and your gaiters off. So, Jason, I, d- I do have one question. Um, was it you that said that you sometimes just soak your boots and go out with wet boots and wet socks and do that? Yep, mm-hmm. I will. If I'm breaking a new pair of boots, I do that. I'll soak, okay. boot, soak my socks, throw it on, lace them down, and, and hike in them. It'll mm. stretch the boot a little bit. It also, I mean, that's the easiest way to get blisters, wet feet, wet boots. Yeah. And just part of breaking in my boots, my socks, my feet prior to the hunt. Yeah. You're, you're, this, I'm, I'm guessing this is probably done many, many months in advance of the trip. Uh, I'll do it. So my my trip is in August. I'll like this weekend is the first weekend I'll go blister my feet. So <laughs> okay, um, and then I'll do it again the following week. Usually, two it takes two or three hikes like that, and then you know then it doesn't happen any longer. And you will you calibrate. pop those blisters, Jason, or will you just let them blister and leave them? If they're if they're clear, I leave them. If they're bloody, I pop them. Okay. Oh. And then well. if they're um, you know, if they're clear and they just get really big, sometimes I'll pop them over after a period of time. But I let them heal that way first, and then I'll pop them. Um, okay. Usually they just kind of go down on their own. Yeah. Well, good news, Travis. Yeah, we got we got enough time to start getting some blisters before our hunt. Yeah, I'm a, I'm scratching my head on this advice here. I'm not sure about that one, but. <laughs> well, you can wait and deal with it in the mountains. I mean, you're going to deal with them. I'd rather get over with. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna listen, but uh, man, it's good. That's crazy. That's good point. Good point. Hey, Jason, let me switch gears and and uh, and and talk to you about food. So, you know, t- uh, Tavis has told us that you know they will provide all the food for us, but you know we've we've listened to your videos and and watched your you know food packing list and. And uh, it seems like you typically prefer to take your own food. When you hunt, when you've hunted with Arctic Red, have have you used their food, or have you have you taken your own? I, I always bring my own food everywhere I go. And I do okay. it, I do it for a couple reasons. First of all, I know what my body likes and what it's used to, 
and I'm always experimenting, experimenting in the off season with different choices of food. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things you got to think about is you're going to go into a the 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 biggest cardiovascular event of your lifetimes, okay. and you're going to rely on somebody else to provide you food that your systems you, that your system may or may not like during that event. And I know a lot of people that don't feel good on those hunts that um, the food that's provided they don't really care for. And if you don't like the food or love the choices of food when you start the hunt, you're going to hate it five days in when you're t- just totally um, maxed out because of the, the challenge, the you know physical challenges of the hunt. And you'll get yeah. to the point where food doesn't even taste good, doesn't sound good because you're just so exhausted. And you almost have to kind of force yourself to eat. And if you don't like what they offer to you, and there's some food that turns your stomach or makes your stomach upset, which happens, then it's a really big challenge. I mean, it's it's just a variable I like to take out as an option that, that may impact how I feel on the hunt by packing my own food. The other thing is the guides will not know how much you guys like to eat. They won't know how much food to bring. And the last thing they want to do is have the experience like you had where they don't bring enough. So typically they're going to overpack. Okay. To be careful, right? They're going to go on the on the overpack side, and they're going to hand you a food bag that's going to weigh, you know, if you're going in for 10 days, it could weigh 30 pounds. Where I wow. pack for 10 days, I know I need two pounds of food a day, and my pack load is going to be 20 pounds, and it's going to be broken out into each meal. I'm going to have exactly what I know I need and exactly what I know I like to eat and what my body's used to because I, I eat it on a regular basis. And I've gotten away from bringing you know, power bars or just cliff bars like I've done in the past and gone more to like regular types of foods, bagels and peanut butter and um, mm-hmm. whole, more whole foods than just bars or candy yeah. bars, which they'll typically pack because the sugar over time just, just gets, your stomach gets tired of it, doesn't respond to it well. And yeah. what I found is, is, you know, by packing my own food and bringing, you know, more normal types of food, that my body just responds better to it. I feel better. And, you know, a big key to this thing is the mental aspect of, of the trip. It's going in totally prepared physically with the right equipment and gear, and then so many people forget about the food aspect and nutrition during that, that, that event. And it's as important as anything. And I just don't like to risk it on the guides being able to provide what I like. Yeah. They I mean, won't. And they're going to overpack yeah. it. Yep. Gotcha. Jeff, you'd recommend that we, we, we test we test different foods to make to kind of find out what backcountry type Absolutely. foods to find out what we like. You have a you have a great food video on your website, Jason. Brad and I both watched it and it's really, yep. really good and very helpful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I spent I've, I mean that's years and years and years of working on food and I'm always working on my menu and looking at calorie counts, calorie per ounces, uh, maximizing, you know, the fats and the calories per ounce on food to try to try to maximize how many calories I can get out of two pounds is kind of a goal, right, every year. Yeah. Okay. So that video will give you a lot of insight to how I pack and what I bring and what's worked for me in the past and how I've refined that over, you know, three decades of backpack hunting. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense, Jason. And, you know, if, if we were just going to be out for five days, I mean, you can pretty much kind of tough through eating whatever. But, uh, you know, as long as Travis and I are going to be out in the mountains, um, you know, we we can get really tired of what what the guides provide, and it's really important that we have the right amount of calories and and things be as you know as perfect as can be. So, 
Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I would I would recommend maybe for that long of a trip, you you pack for. I mean, I would do the the your own food for the sheep portion of that hunt, and the moose portion of the hunt. They're going to fly in good food. You're not going to be as remote as you are for the sheep, and uh, when they move you, I'm sure they're going to load you up with food, and you probably won't be moving that much where you're moose hunting, just because you got to get the moose out, and you probably would be fine with what they provide you for that portion of your hunt. But for the sheep portion, I would definitely recommend bringing your own your own food if you guys are up for putting the menu together. Yeah, that sounds great. Sounds like great advice. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that. Yeah, and that. And then if that's you know maybe we just have to take you know our own food for ten days or or yeah. you know not not the entire time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. Right. Bring a a ten to twelve day um, you know your own food for ten to twelve days of the hunt for the sheep. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What about what about supplements, um, Jason? So I, I I think on your video you take a hydrate and recover, and, Tra- and Travis and I are big fans of the we we like the Wilderness Athlete products. We we use the, the multivitamins and the hydrate and recovers and all that and that stuff. Um, do and do you just take one hydrate and recover per day, and do you, do you take multivitamins with you? What Supplements and stuff like that you take on a hunt. Yeah, I'll I'll bring my multivitamins uh, and I'll take those in the morning. I bring a hydrate and recover and I'll drink that at night before I go to sleep. And I just bring one per day. You might bring two, just depending on how much of that you like to drink. I don't put it in my hydration bladder for the day because it makes it hard to clean out. But I'll bring a, like I said, a hydrate and recover and I'll drink that um, at night after after or with my meal. Yeah. Well. I, you know, from experience, I, I get typically will get cramps my first night, you know, in the mountains at high altitude. If I've really, you know, been exerting myself hard that day, and it's, it, I swear, it's like that. Hydrate and recover is a, it's a miracle drink for me for making cramps go away. Yep, I have a tendency to cramp as well. I've always, you know, through my athletic career, and in hunting. Um, yeah, I've I've dealt with that too, and it does help. Yeah, what about uh, what about water purification up up there, Jason? Um, did when you went, did you take anything for water purification, or is the is the water okay up there? When I hunt north, I never bring anything to filter water. If I'm hunting lower forty eight, I always filter my water. I've never had a problem up north. And or needed to filter water. I've always been able to drink right out of the streams, and they had no issues. Is that common? That's, just, that's me. I, it it, it yeah. seems to be. I know some people that have gotten Giardia on northern trips, um, but it, it's I don't hear about it a lot, and I've never had the need to or ever had that experience up there. I've never filtered. So it's kind of a, you know, if it's something you're really, really worried about, you know, you certainly could bring a filter. The guides won't have one because they don't use it. They don't ever need them up there. And I'm okay. never worried about it. Yeah. Okay. Travis, I think Tavis, Tavis told us that they don't worry about it. And, yeah, his guides don't use it. So that, you know, that, that matches we up. Have hundreds and th- if not thousands of customers are going on these types of trips. And I rarely hear about somebody getting jarred up north. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's, that's a, if it that's was a, a problem, huge weight we savings would. right there. Not having to yeah, try, you know, pack a bunch of water or pack filtration system. Yeah. There's water. Every, I mean, access to water is absolutely no problem up there. 
Yep. How, gotcha. much water, how much water would you carry, like, typically, you know, would you carry your full full hydration bladder, or would you carry it partially full since you know you could get water everywhere? I like to, I just fill mine up in the morning, and I carry this, our three liter. Okay. And that way I don't have to stop to refill um, and, you know, drop my pack and get out, you know, get it out of my pack. You certainly don't need to carry that much water. You will be um, crossing lots of rivers. One of the things I'd probably recommend is bringing, like, a Nalgene type of bottle and putting it on your, in your side, you know, somewhere that's easy to access off your pack. And it's typically what the guides will do. And then when they stop to stream, they'll fill it up and drink out of it. I okay. just like to sip on hydration throughout the day, and then I'll bring an, a Nalgene bottle to drink out of at night um, and then keep it in my um, side pouch in my pack. I can grab and fill out of a stream if I need to. And yeah. if you had a problem with your bladder, you've got another water, water container to use. And you, you can use that then to mix your hydrate recovers too. Exactly. Yep. And, okay. And try not to mix up your pee bottle with your drinking bottle. Well, you only do that once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> highly recommended pee bottle. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I, I saw that on one of your videos, and I thought that was ingenious. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, Paul Bride, my photographer, that's shot you know so much in the outdoor world and and, and climbing and mountaineering, and he's the one that introduced me to the, the miracle of a pee bottle, not having to get out of your sleeping bag at night. And once you once you use one, you'll never go back to not going to the mountains with <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> Especially uh, in the middle of a storm. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. If you don't mind, let's switch gears again, and I want to talk about shelters. Um, you know, this is sure. another another thing. That, you know, typically Arctic Red provides all the shelters. Um, I know from watching your videos and also listening to Brendan, his podcast, you know, you guys like to take your own shelters. You know, I'm just curious. I mean, I think I know what you're going to say, but I kind of want to, want to cover it anyway. You know, why you do that. Um and, and maybe you could talk about some of the pros and cons of using your own shelter versus depending on the guide for shelters. Obviously, I guess weight savings is being one of the main things that would be a pro in sharing a shelter. But could you just kind of touch on that subject yeah. for a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I always bring my own tent. And, and you never, I mean, a lot of outfits up north, they're not going to be using tents that are as well made as ours or focused on weight reduction. Uh, that's kind of first and foremost. And then, you know, you think about a tent that's used up north, um, some of them will go, you know, they'll use a tent for multiple years. So you don't know if it's going to leak. You don't know if it's, if it's got a problem. Um, it could be a, a problem they didn't even know existed but was created from the previous client or, the, you know, something that, that happened on a previous hunt. And so you, you may end up with a tent that leaks. And like I said, you, you know, some of the tents that I've, that I've seen that the outfitters are using aren't the most modern tents or, or not the most expensive tents out there because they go through so much gear on, on outfitting clients and then for me I like to have my own space at night I sleep better without somebody next to me and um, having the ability to lay out lay out my gear in my tent at night let things dry having my own my own space to to move around and not worry if I'm waking somebody up and just I just have a, a better experience having my own my own tent and sleeping in my own tent and those are kind of the reasons why I always bring my own no, it makes total makes total sense. The uh, you know, and which how which tent do you select for what kind of trip? Maybe talk about how you select your tent, your shelter. Sure. Yeah, for for my sheep hunts up north, I'm always, I'm typically bringing our our Mountain Star. Our, I don't in in the Northwest Territories, you you probably don't need 
the storm star, although your late season hunt may be something to consider because of the snow. But as far as, you know, that particular tent, it's really storm-worthy and can handle, you know, high winds, you know, I've put it in some really terrible conditions and situations that it's, that it's withstood. So you, it, durability-wise, um, even with snow loads, that, that two-person mountain star we have is, is outstanding, and it's going to save you a little bit of weight versus our storm star. The only thing you'll run into with that tent is if you get snow, is spin drift blowing in through the internal mesh. And that's where the Storm Star, you know, obviously has a more robust pull system. It has um, um, some some uh, unique fabric in the X-Pack fabric and the seams for really, you know, terrible storm situations and heavy snow loads. But you shouldn't run into that in the Northwest Territories. I mean, the only thing you might get is some spin drift blown in, which you can just, um, you know, sweep out of your tent and get away what, with what our, is, our Storm Star drift? tent. That's, what is spin drift? It, it's uh, the light snow that the wind will pick up and blow, and it'll blow it. It can, it can blow it underneath your vestibule and into your tent. And I've come back on trips and found you know three inches of snow in my tent because of spin drift blow. Um, the Storm Star tent uh, is designed with a with a layer of a breathable fabric and mesh, so you can zip the breathable fabric up, and it keeps the spin drift from coming inside of your tent. Okay. I don't gotcha. think, I mean, for for that hunt, you you guys will get snow um, mm-hmm. on and off, but I don't know if it's going to be enough to to want to and justify bringing the extra weight of a storm star tent, especially on your sheep hunts. Okay, gotcha. Travis, we learned a new meaning of spin drift. See, Travis and I are also uh, into long range shooting, and so <laughs> we know we know spin drift from long range shooting, but not blowing snow. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I'm yeah. going to learn a lot more as, as, as this goes on. But so yeah. uh, another, another. I was just curious, you know, about bears on your any of your trips up there. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, Tavis had told Brad and I a story about a grizzly flipping him up up on top of his brother inside a tent, and that he ended up having to shoot that bear, you know, that had come in there. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, being being that we're bow hunting, and being that you're not allowed to pack a, a pistol into Canada, which really sucks. Um, the uh, you know the only weapon I have is a, is a sharp stick. I don't know. It made me a little nervous, you know, being in my own tent in bear country, but not having a gun. But uh, I don't know. Yep. Did you, ever, did you guys ever have any issues? I I personally haven't had issues there. Um, I've seen bears, seen quite a few bears there. Um, one of the challenge, one of the downsides to the Northwest Territories is the, the there is no grizzly bear hunting, and so the bears aren't that afraid of people there. And there has been issues with the bears um, being really aggressive. There's been recent bear attacks of, of clients and guides getting killed in, in, in that country. And the bears have a tendency in that country to be more aggressive than other areas where they are hunted. And it's something to be very respectful of and be very careful if you get in and around the bear in that country. Um, I know they've had to you know, kill several bears over the years, uh, Arctic Red and other areas that uh, other other territories or guide territories in the mckenzie's it's yeah. um, something you need to to have a lot of respect for and to be thoughtful of whether you're when you're butchering game when um you're traveling through that country the guide will carry a, a, a some sort of firearm to protect you guys against bears but it's it's something to, to be mindful of when you're in that country because it is a legitimate threat yeah, yeah, would you suggest that, that we carry? I mean, Tavis mentioned that we could purchase bear spray from him at, at the headquarters there. Would you suggest we carry bear spray? I would have. I would have something. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would rather carry a 300, but yeah. at least <laughs> at least I would, you know, consider bringing bear spray to minimum. No, I, I, I'm, I, I would love to carry a rifle too, but I'm, I'm, I'm committed to shooting my game with my bow, and I'd hate the thought of carrying two weapons. Uh, sure, I get like that. that but, yeah. yeah, yeah. If he's got bear spray, I would definitely buy a bear spray from him and take it with you. At least you have something. It's better than yeah. nothing. Yeah, yeah we. We would much rather have a big gun as well, um, but uh, yeah, like Travis said, I'd, we uh, we look at how much our we've got you know got some lightweight rifles, but still to think we'd be packing that only for bear protection, a lot of a lot of ounces. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely would would recommend bear spray then. Okay. All right. Cool. At least at least it'll season you before the heat you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Then we'll taste kind of peppery to him, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that's right. spicy. Yeah. Um, well, let, let me ask you about uh, sleep systems now. So <clears throat> Tavis was uh, recommending to Travis and I that for this time period or, that we should bring zero-degree bags and uh, and we both have have uh, you know y'all's Kuyu zero degree bag. Um, we've got the Thermarest Neo Air X Light pads, and I, I've used that you know on on uh, a number of hunts now, and I've really liked that pad. Um, is that is the, does that match up? Like if you were going the same time we're we're going, would you choose a zero degree the zero degree bag, or would you do something different, Jason? For the moose portion of your hunt, the later season hunt, absolutely. If I was sheep hunting, and since I have obviously lots of selection and choices of bags I can take, I would bring a either a 30 or I actually probably on that trip bring a 15 degree bag for my sheep hunt and yeah. save a pound. Um, but I, you know, that's just because I don't have to spend the money to to buy the, our different sleeping bags. If you know money is no object, you bring a 15 for your sheep hunt and you bring a um, a zero degree for when you're doing moose hunts in the later portion of your hunt. Uh, and just swap, yeah, I have the zero degree bag in our a moose kit then, yeah. You, yeah, exactly. that may be something to think about. You know, yeah. it just depends, you know, if you're really trying to shave ounces for that sheep portion of your hunt, which I always do, then, yeah, you, you bring a 15 and you bring a zero. Yeah. Jason, when do you, when do you make the choice to, um, you know, go with a little bit higher you know, a warmer, or I guess the higher temperature rating sleeping bag, a 15 or a 30, but then, you know, be prepared to use your super down to sleep in as well to add added insulation. So, like on my August sheep hunt, I will bring a 30 and my super mm-hmm. down jacket, or now I'll bring my super down ultra jacket and my super down ultra pant. Yeah. And, and that's just, you know, that's obviously for sitting on ridges glassing, but I also sleep in that as well at night if it gets cold. And I'll end up, I mean, I've had trips where it's gotten really cold. I'm in a 30-degree bag. I'll put on not just super down, but, you know, I'll put them, start layering up my whole system. I've even slept in everything I've brought, including my rain gear, then got in my sleeping bag. It's gotten so cold on a, on a couple of different trips I've been on. But um, <laughs> yeah. one nice thing about sleeping your super down is easy to get out of the bag in the morning. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then when you get, I mean, one of the nice things you'll you'll discover hunting up north, maybe you experienced this before in BC and Alaska when you guys have hunted up there, but 
you know, you don't get up at daybreak and start hunting. You get up, you know, you tend, tend to sleep in. You get up, you have an hour or two to have breakfast and coffee in the morning, and then you pack up and, and start on your hunt because the days yeah. are longer. And yeah. That, that part of sheep hunting I actually really enjoy. And it's nice <laughs> to be able to get up in the morning, you're in your super down, you throw on your boots, you go out and you have coffee, and then, uh, you, know, you know, you don't have to get dressed in the morning. It's, it's pretty convenient. Yeah. Speaking of coffee, what's your favorite coffee to take into the backcountry? I bring the Starbucks, those little Via Instants. Okay, all right, yeah, gotcha. If you don't like if you don't like brown water, I recommend bringing those in your, that you guys pack your own because <laughs> the instant coffee they will pack you isn't isn't all that great if you like good coffee. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm kind of a coffee snob now, so yeah, I'll, I want to have some good yeah, stuff. Yep, yeah, sure. those are great because you know one or two packets and and you, know, you got a great cup of coffee and. Um, you don't have to, you know, bring in grounds or anything else. It's, it's kind of a, a, a guess on how much you need. Yeah. Do you do you take your own stove or, or just use the guides? I don't. I use the guides. Um, no, I shouldn't say that. If if well, it depends where I'm hunting, and it depends if they have canister fuel. If I know they have got canister fuel at base camp, I'll bring my own um, little pocket rocket, keep mm-hmm. my pack, and then in the mornings, what's nice is you know I'll roll over in my vestibule and, and start a cup of coffee. Mm, I bring yeah. a little. I bring a small aluminum um, mug mm-hmm. with me, and then you know you roll over. You you put your coffee on the stove. You turn on your stove, and it warms up the inside of the tent. It's kind of nice. Yeah, absolutely. If you have yeah. condensation in there, it'll help dry out the inside of the condensation of the tent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What uh, Havis does have canisters up there, so you, if you bring your own small stove, yeah, you could you could grab a yeah. canister from them. Yeah. All right. And would would you? And would a one? How long would one canister last you? How many days? He uses the biggest, the big ones. And so for me, how little I use it for just the mornings making coffee and sometimes breakfast if the guides aren't up uh, up before them. You know, it'll last mm-hmm. you. You know, it'll last you a couple of weeks. Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. It'll. Yeah. Almost the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. We're talking about you know if it's really cold, put stuff in your bag. But do you do you put your um, if it's if your boots are a little bit damp at night? Uh, do you stick them in your sleeping bag or do you leave them in your tent with you or what do you do with? Uh, with my, I usually put my boots leave my boots in in the vestibule. You're okay. not going to be able to dry your boots off and and put them in the bottom of your bag would just make a mess out of your bag. Yeah, but I will put my yeah. wet socks, anything else in my bag to dry. It doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Or you sleep, yeah. or sleep in it. You know, if you got damp base layers, I'll just sleep in it and wake up. They'll be dry. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What waterproof stuff sack uh, works best for each of the bags? Uh, let me think about that. I think the large fits the zero. The medium fits the fifteen, and the small will fit the thirty. Okay. Yeah, and those work great. They're designed yeah. to fit each different temperature-rated bag. Okay, awesome, awesome. And then okay. I also, everything I put in my pack is in a dry sack. So okay. extra clothes, um, you know, anything that you're going to be wearing, any type of apparel. I, I bring a separate stuff sack for my Super Down products, uh-huh. and those always will stay in my pack every day. Okay. Because I can save your life on the mountain. Um, yeah, my ring gear I won't put in the stuff sack, obviously, but... Everything else, any extra spare clothes, any extra spare jackets, um, anything that you don't want to get wet, I put in there. Okay. 
Yep. So if you fall in a river or you don't get your rain cover on in time, your pack gets soaked, you don't have to worry about what's inside. Yeah. Or if you're making a stock on something, you know, you don't want to have that rain cover on and having it drag through brush. Right. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Great. Okay. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna change gears again here and, and uh I wanna I wanna talk about optics real quick and then Brad's gonna we're gonna jump into the clothing and all the all the gear kind of sure. layer by layer by layer. But uh first of all on optics, you know, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are. I mean, just tell you what we're what we we're running like the ten by forty two HDR, the binos with the rangefinder in it, and they yep. do the angle compensation for us and we've we've done a good bit of shooting up and down steep slopes to test them to make sure that they work well with our bows. And they do, and uh, so a you know is a ten power you know ten by forty two bino a good choice uh, for for the trip as far as binos. It would be, yeah. That's what I bring too. I, except I use uh, Swarovskis and, and I use the laser rangefinder as well in theirs. It's okay. A, okay, perfect choice. Yeah, going up any higher in power, it's just hard to keep them steady. I've tried twelves before to try to get some extra power, but you really need to be sitting down or having them on a tripod. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. So I, I love I love running my binos off a tripod, and you know I wanted to talk about spotting scopes, tripods. But do you you know do you, what's your tip? I mean, your system. I saw when you, you know on your packout video, you know you had your binos, you had your spotting scope, you had a tripod. I didn't think you didn't see something on there where you would have a attachment system for your you know binos to go on your tripod. Yeah, when I'm using tens, I don't. Now I may pull my tripod up and rest them on it and use it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, just depends on on how you like to to mount your your binos to your tripod. If you, I mean, obviously you you can do that. I I've just found that with tens, if I can just extend my tripod and rest them on there, it works fine for me, and I don't need the adapter. But that's mm-hmm. kind of gotcha. personal preference. Yeah. Okay. If I'm using tens, absolutely. Or if I'm using twelves or anything or fifteens, I absolutely use an adapter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. That that makes sense. So what? One of the dilemmas that I'm running through right now, Jason, is you know knowing knowing that I want to keep everything as light as I can. Uh, the idea of taking my own spinoscope and tripod, which I have a, a Swarovski 65 millimeter, um, and uh, I've got a really nice uh, slick carbon fiber tripod, lightweight tripod system and stuff. And um, you know, I, I really would. I, I know you know when I hunted with Jay for sheep this past year. I just can't imagine the thought of having done that hump without my own tripod mm-hmm. and scope because such a, a big part of the experience was glassing, like sitting there and actually like, oh, hey, there's some sheep. Okay, we check out this while we get in the scopes. And, I mean, if Jay, I, I mean, obviously if we're looking at, you know, it's me or Jay that's going to look at it, and I've never seen a sheep in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm going to want Jay to tell me what he thinks of it. So it would have done me a lot of good to look at it because I want to shoot pretty much everyone I saw. Which Jake can certainly testify to. <laughs> the, uh, but you the, like the running joke. You, li- you liked having your own spotting scope, so you, we could, you know, half of it was visual of the of the hunt. Was half of the entertainment was watching the sheep too. So yeah, the, like sure. so much of the experience of the hunt was actually watching it myself. I you know I had a phone scope you know and I, I was taking pictures and video and it just man it. I can't imagine going back and doing that experience without having my own spine scope tripod. But on this one, I know it's going to be a lot more painful to pack it around than it was on that trip because we were kind of like day hunting in and out from a base camp. And uh, no, it's a, it's a it's a good it's a dilemma for sure. Um, you know, if it's Brennan and I hunting together, one of us will have a tripod and spotting scope. If I'm hunting just myself with a guide, I'll always have a tripod and spotting scope, just for the reasons you're saying. And you know, some of the guides just don't have the money to spend on great optics. 
And so you might have a guy with an old beat up Nikon spotting scope. He's used to it. But you yeah. gotta look through it, it just drive, it drives me nuts. I like having my own optics. Well, what if, I mean, I'll I bring like what a sixty five millimeter Suaro is what I'll bring on a backpack sheep hunt versus like the ninety five. Okay, you'll switch to ninety five when? No, versus like a 95, which I'll use on, you know, hunts that aren't, you know, 10-day or 12-day backpack sheep hunt. I'll use a 65-millimeter right. scope on those hunts, and it's, it's plenty. Okay. So one of, the, one, of my, one of my ideas was, obviously, to take my stuff and then just suggest to the guide maybe that we just share my scope and tripod setup uh, to save weight. No, the, guide will, the guide will want to bring his own. He will? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, but it's fine. You know. It's nice to have your own. And I've had, I mean, I've had situations where... You know, I wasn't with the guide where I spotted sheep and, and needed my spotting scope to identify him. And you know, my second trip to Arctic Red, he was busy skinning a, a caribou I'd just shot, and I went up on a, on a knob and, and located a ram, and we ended up killing him the next day. And hadn't I had my spotting scope, I wouldn't have been able to decide how big he was or whether he was worth hunting the next day. It's just like oh, having right. it. Yep. And some days, you know, some mornings you might get up before the guide, and you might see sheep or animals, and you want your spotting scope. I just like having it. No, yeah, I think it's sense. absolutely worth the extra weight. That's okay. kind of the direction I was leaning to, and I just need to not be an ounce-counting weenie too much here and, and, I, and really take that. <laughs> it sounds like some ounces that I really want to take. It is. Yeah, I, I've never regretted bringing mine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good to know. <clears throat> uh, all right. So we're ready to, to get into uh, the clothing, and I guess my first question for you, Jason and I don't know this. It may not. This one may not matter much, but just curious um, for that area up there that time of year. Do you think the Vs or the Verde 2.0 is a, a better camouflage pattern? Either are great choices. Yep. The Verde 2.0 is a little bit more versatile, especially you're hunting uh, moose down in that lower country. But it honestly, they they both work incredibly well in those conditions and that and that and that terrain. I mean, yeah. the VS in the rocks, you can't, but the, it, it looks just, you can't see people in it. But, uh, you know, either choice would be fine. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, we figured it probably doesn't matter either way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to go through the, the you know, the, the full layering system and sure. just talk about kind of what we're thinking and, what, and see what your recommendations are and start with base layers, um, you know, and we've been, you know, wearing the merinos for for years now, and we we love how we can wear the merinos for so long, and they don't stink. I I I think I've, I've I may have mentioned this to to Jay, but when we got back from Alaska, I, I'd worn uh, a merino 145 zip tee, you know, for like 10 days straight, and when I unpacked my gear, actually, like, you know, put it in my wife's face, and I said babe, can you tell me, is this dirty or clean? And she, like, took a big sniff, and she was like, I think it's clean. And I was like, I wore that shirt for 10 days straight, you know, and then she got mad at me. I wasn't too happy about that, yeah. No, yeah, she wasn't, but it's just awesome. Um, and so, um, so, I mean, from what, when do you make the choice to go from, you know, the, the Merinos to the uh, Peloton? You know, both are great choices, and, and there's, there's, I don't know if there's a better choice between one or the other. I think a lot of it's personal preference. Yeah. Some guys just don't like the, the, the feeling of merino against their skin. 
The one thing I, I don't like about Merino personally is how long it holds moisture and how long it stays wet versus the Peloton. Yeah. And that's the only downside to it in, in, in how I look at it. The advantage is obviously with the carotene protein that makes up Merino wool, it, it's antimicrobial by nature. So it, it you know, it's going to stay cleaner. It's not going to have an odor and... Um, you know that's that advantage to, to merino. I mean, the the downside to it's a it's a hydrophilic fiber, so it's going to pull moisture into the fabric. It's what it's how it functions to keep your you dry when you're wet is it's pulling moisture off your skin into the fabric. But yeah. because of that, then it holds the moisture. And for me, I've really started to to spend and, and choose the Peloton for most of my hunts, just because I like a drier <clears throat> fabric against my skin, and the Peloton because it has no elastic in it. I mean, dries incredibly fast. And, you know, like I said, I hunted for years in Merino uh, wool on these sheep hunts, and it's just the last couple of years that I've switched to Peloton, really for personal preference. But if you like Merino, you're used to it, that, that's a fine choice for this trip. Yeah. <clears throat> would, you, would you take the, like, if, if going with Merino, would you choose the 145 zip, zip-offs, or would you go uh, with the heavier weight for the, like, the sheep hunt, and then what would you do, like, in the moose moose kit? Yeah, for, for me, what I, what I do on, <clears throat> on the Merino is I'll take a crew T-shirt, so either a 125 or a 145. That time of year, I'd probably go with a heavier one, and then I'll bring a 145 zip tee. And what I like that is I can wear the crew tee as my main shirt, the zip tee, if, I, if it gets wet, I can switch into the zip tee during the day. Or if I need to add additional warmth, I can throw the 145 zip tee over the 145 crew and use it as a, as a you know, part of my layering system. Yep. And then for the, for the kind of the mid-weight choice, what I've gone to instead of the, the Merino 210 is the Peloton 200 just because it's lighter and warmer and dries yep. faster. And that's what I recommend on the bottoms too. I'd put you in. I'd recommend the 145 um, zip offs on the bottom, and then the, the Peloton 200 for the zip offs to go over those for the later portion of your hunt. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, uh, that makes makes great sense. But you would you would also add in the the insulation layer then too as well. Of course, yeah. For like for the the super down or the Kenai. I would for up there, no question, super down. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. It's just you know you're going to spend a lot of time sitting behind glass, and super down weight to warmth ratios you know far superior to that of of Kenai, just a warmer okay. product. And then the other jacket you may consider for your later hunt is the Super Down Pro that's coming out, and it'll be out before your hunt, and that has twice the amount of down as our Super Down. And it's just a really really warm jacket. And you know, towards the end of that September, you're going to get some really cold conditions at night and in the mornings. And okay. having that extra insulation, at least on the jacket, may be something to think about having flown in for your for your moose hunt. Gotcha. Okay. Not mandatory, well, awesome. but it is nice to have a really warm down jacket. Not even necessarily to hunt in, but just either sit in the glass or um, you know in the mornings and and at night. Jason, do you happen yeah. to know, you happen Jason. to know what the weight is going to be on that Super Down Pro yet? It's still super light. I think it's like 15 or 16 ounces. Okay. Wow. And then when you were talking about the Super Down earlier, you were talking about the Ultra. You were talking about the the, the new Super Down, right? Uh, yeah, I would. I would. I'm yeah. 40%, actually, obviously, 40% less weight, right? 
It is, yeah. I mean, uh, Super Down Ultra now is like, I mean, depending on your size, it's like six ounces to seven ounces. Yeah, don't worry, Jay. <clears throat> don't worry, Jay. I've already bought it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. great. I mean, we, we, we picked up all that weight savings as the new fabric technology from Tori and didn't give up. And it's just as strong and as durable as the Super Down. It's amazing. Wow. That's awesome. So would you, like, so for a, for a jacket on, like, a sheep hunt, would you would you still take like a Kenai jacket as well as a Super Down jacket, or would you choose a different jacket to take? I would choose a different jacket. Okay, and you don't need two. You won't need two layers of insulation. Okay, and would I would do choose a guide jacket? either. Like, I would either do a guide jacket, or if you want to really count ounces, I like the two forty Peloton two hundred and forty because it has you know has the yeah. wind resistance in by construction. How they bond uh-huh. the fabrics together, and that's a lighter choice, probably a more versatile choice, and that'll block wind. And so you can throw if it gets really cold, you, you know, you can throw that over your your base layer system, and mm-hmm. or you can put your super down on and throw that over the top to just give you more more protection. And then uh, I, yeah. again, then I use my shell over the top of that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. E- either either of those would be fine choices. The guide jacket's going to be a little bit warmer. A little more robust and um, more versatile as far as in the weather. So yeah, either of those yeah. choices would be great. But the 240 just weighs a little bit less, a little more versatile, but not. Yeah, not quite, it's quite a bit less in weight than the guy jacket, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite a bit. I've, I've weighed them out too. Um, so the uh, Jason, to review real quick. So like on your on your top, you would you would run a uh, probably like a 145T, then a 145 zip uh, long. Yep, and then you would probably your next layer might be the Peloton 240, it, and then it would, you would be the no, it would be the Peloton 200, and I like the hooded one. Uh-huh. The hooded one, okay. Okay. Yep, because you can pull, it, you pull would, it up over your head where you're sitting in glassing, and you don't need a beanie. Um, and then you would also take then you would take the Super Down or the I'm sorry the, the Super Down Ultra, and then the Peloton 240 as well. Correct. I would. Okay, and that, and that would you be the range, your range shell, obviously. But yes. That would be your top your top layering system for the sheep hunt. It would be. Yeah. Jason, again, which ones would you get? Which pieces would you get with hoods? Obviously, your rain gear has a hood. Yeah. I, you know, I pretty much always bring a hood on all my products up north. Okay. If I have a choice. Okay. Um, right. Sometimes, you know, you get all the hoods going, and it, seems, and it kind of feels like there's a lot. But, you know, most of the time, you're not going to have them all on at one time. Yeah, and and when you're up north and it's blowing hard on a ridge, and it's nice to be able to pull those hoods up. Okay, the wind coming coming down your back. If you yeah. were going to choose one not to bring a hood on, you may either you may think about the 200 and not get bringing a hood on that if you're just worried about having too many hoods. But the nice thing about the 200 is if you're hiking, that's a great layer to have over your merino. And then you know if if it gets cold or you get some wind up your that's blowing on your back, you can throw that hood up. Um, makes it kind of convenient. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Choose one, maybe not to choose, not to have it on. Maybe this is two hundred. Okay, all right. But you'd have it on like the super down on absolutely. Yeah, and then on the the uh, two like the two forty. Um, yeah, I would with the hood. Yep, <clears throat> and obviously the guide jacket has has a hood if we went that route. Okay, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's talk about pants. Uh, so, um, what what. Which which piece, Travis? And I'll tell you right now. We we love the knee pads in the 
and the alpines and the and the chinooks and it seems like as bow hunters we do so much of our stalking you know we'll end up on our hands and knees and so many times we end up shooting game from a kneeling position sure. and uh what what do you think from the time that when we're going to be there what are, what are the best weights what best pieces sure i would i mean i would recommend you know on the bottom like we talked about with uh, the base layers um the 145 zip offs and the 200s and then i would bring the like, if you like the alpine pant that'd be a great choice i wouldn't okay. probably choose the chinook it's a little bit heavier and it's a bonded fabric, and I don't think you'll need, with having the, the base layers you're going to bring, you won't need that extra warmth of the Chinook. Okay. Uh, you're going to want the versatility that the Alpine will give you. Okay. And that's, that would be a great choice. You're definitely going to need the Yukon Gators. Yep. Guys, make sure to catch part two, episode number 303, a continuation of all of the gear talk with Jason Harrison and the Weist brothers. Thanks for listening. That extra warmth of the Chinook. Okay. Uh, you're going to want the versatility that the Alpine will give you. Okay. That's That would be a great choice. You're definitely going to need the Yukon Gators. Yep. Okay. What about later in the, in the moose kit bag, what uh, pants should we throw in for that latter part of the hunt? I mean, that, that's where you may want to think about the Chinooks um, for, okay. for the later part of the hunt. That way, if you get some, some colder weather, you get some wet, you know, some wet conditions, soft shell has a tendency to, to repel the water and wind a little bit better. Okay. All right. And I'll give you a clean, clean pant to jump into for that, that portion of your hunt. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Probably the Chinooks or the, gui- the guides would be a good choice. Either one. Yeah. Either one would be great. Yeah, the guides are just a little bit warmer than the Chinooks. Yep. Yeah, gotcha. Is there, as far as durability goes, is there uh, any differences in the durability of the of the four different pants? Those those choices. Yeah, the the. It's a good question. I mean, they're they're all durable. I think it just depends on the different types of conditions and situations. The the guide pant is our most durable pant yeah. by construction, probably followed by the chinook, and then followed by the attack, and probably the alpines are least durable, but it's, you know, durability is an issue with that fabric. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, Travis and I both for. We've, we've worn the Alpines, uh, on, you know, for a while now, and, the, of course, the attack pants, we've worn those for years and years, and then the guides, too, and they've all been real tough. The Chinooks are probably the pants that we have the least experience with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you have guide pants, I'd bring those for Moose Hunt. Okay, all right. Okay. For... For rain gear on our hunt, would you say the Chugach is the way to go? Chugach would be fine. It okay. would. Um, if you know, money is no object and space and weight is an object, you bring the Yukon for your moose hunt, but you won't really need it. You have Chugach, you'll be fine. Okay. Got it. In the, in the NX, the ultralight stuff would probably leave not be durable enough, huh? Yeah, leave it at home. Okay. Got it. Yeah, you'll be you. I mean, there's a you will be in your ringer every day. Okay. Okay. You'll get weather that comes through, and, and a lot of times it's just you know a, a rainstorm that pops through for an hour and then goes away. But yeah, you'll be in and out of your ringer all day. Yeah. Most okay. So yep. I wouldn't recommend the the NX just because you'll spend too much time in it and you could end up uh, tearing it potentially. In that yeah. Gotcha. Well, I. Travis and I, like in uh, in Alaska, I mean, we were in our our Chugach rain gear 
I mean, like almost every day. And in, in BC, I've been in it, and and I mean, it is bomb-proof gear. It is. It's great stuff. I mean, for the weight and the durability. I mean, that being a three-layer fabric, it's it, it, that weight is outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, what would you do on gloves? You know, for that trip, I mean, I don't go into sheep country without my without the guide glove or a new attack glove is what I'll take now, just for okay. hand protection. And I don't know how comfortable you guys are with shooting with gloves on, but I always recommend, you know, bringing a guide glove or a new attack glove, which is a little bit thinner version of the guide glove, not quite as warm. Maybe for your trip, I'd choose the guide glove, just for traveling the country and yeah. protecting your hands from slips and falls and sharp rocks and stuff around camp, whether you're clearing out tent platforms or grabbing wood or, or moving rocks on the runway for the plane to land, you, you're going to want a, a work-type glove like the attack, uh, the guide glove is, and it's really what I created it for. Okay. And you know, you, those are easier to get off than the attack glove if you, to, to shoot, um, but you definitely want the guide glove. And then for your later hunt, yeah. I would recommend the North Star. Okay. All right. And then... Uh, for waterproof glove on the sheep, sheep portion like the Yukon glove or... Or do you think we can get away? No, you could. You could. You could choose the. You could choose the Yukon glove for the for your sheep portion of the hunt. That would be would be another great choice. And that one is waterproof, and it has a little more insulation with your later season hunt. Might make more sense than the guy just thinking about it, talking to me about it. Okay. Um, I'm used to just running the guy glove, and if it gets wet, it dries, and I don't worry about it too much. But actually, with your hunt, I'd probably recommend the Yukon. Okay, okay, yeah, and I have a tendency to get cold hands, uh, really, really cold hands. My hands get really numb, but I was, uh, and I, I even, I've, I've got mine set up, so I, I run the, a large in the uh, Yukon glove, and then I run a, a medium in, like, the, uh, you know, the Peloton or the Merino yep. thin gloves, and I, I can yeah, I recommend the Peloton for that hunt. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's what I do. It's a great choice. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, and shooting with gloves, I, you know, I can't do it with with thicker gloves. I have to have a if I shoot with a glove at all, it's got to be a really thin thin glove. So like a Peloton, really thin glove would be something I could shoot in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You think you think we'd be warm enough to you know with the the Peloton two hundred under the Yukon glove in the later part of the hunt, or should we also consider you know you know bring, putting the glassing mitt in the kit for the moose kit? Either the glassing mitt or the North Star. Or the You'll want a warmer glove for the for the later portion of your hunt. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. The one benefit of the North yeah. Star is you're going to be able to use your fingers, whereas the glassing mitt is basically just a shell, right? That's just going to keep your yeah. hands warm. Yeah. I mean, you're going to need a warm glove for right. your later portion. You need the North Star glove. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And then for uh, another, you know, headgear, probably ball cap, and then. Would you do the like the 145 Merino beanie and neck gaiter, or would you do like the Peloton? I would bring the 145 neck gaiter for sure. I never leave home without it. And uh, then I would, on that trip, I would bring, God, probably both. I like the lightweight Merino to sleep in if it's cold. I like it for, yeah. for climbing if it's cold and windy. Mm-hmm. Um, I could throw it over the top of my hat and pull it down and turn with a 145 neck gaiter, turn, turn it into a balaclava. And then I'll bring the 240 as well. You'll need both. Got gotcha. you. Okay. The 240, right. yeah. Okay. Yep. Got it. Awesome. And then, and then any extra clothes, waterproof stuff, stuff sack, like you said before. Yeah, and really for me, on like your sheep hunt, I won't. That's 
everything we talked about on the kit layering system, that's all I'm bringing. Um, yeah. I don't bring an extra pant. I don't bring an extra anything uh, other right. than socks. And I bring, for you guys, I probably bring maybe two pairs of extra socks besides the one you besides the socks you're wearing. And okay. Two pairs. Bag. And then okay. I, you know I bring a a couple pairs of uh, you know our Peloton briefs. Okay. On the socks, Jason, would you on in the on the sheep hunt? Would you just carry one extra pair of socks, or would you should we take two for the sheep portion and then have extra socks on the for the moose kit? You know, I normally only bring one extra pair, and you know, last year in the Yukon, we were in and out of rivers so much. I wish I had a, a, a third pair of socks with me just to so I could actually get into a dry pair because they weren't always drying. Okay, uh, there you're, you're probably in that sheep country, not going to be in in as much water, you could get away with one extra pair of socks. Gotcha. It just depends okay. on, on what's important to you. A third pair wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Um, yeah. But, again, it just depends how many ounces and grams you want to shave. Yeah. Okay. All right. Jason, do you, yeah, wear, t- do you wear two pairs of socks like Brendan, or do you just wear one pair? Like you, I just you wear, like wear our, our, knee, our, our over-calf. I bring our over-calf socks, just one pair. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> The uh, um, so let's tr- talk about boots since we're talking about socks real quick. Obviously, you guys sell a range of boots. I'd, I'd like to like you to talk about you know y'all's boots. I, I, I know on your your recent uh, um, live event, uh, which I watched, uh, you know you covered some of that. But maybe on this podcast, it'd be good to cover the sure. boots and kind of which ones you think are best for what type of trip, and maybe which ones you think you'd recommend Brad and I try. Um, I'm I, I forget the names of them real quick. I think that the kind of the middle one is the K, right? The Rebel K. Rebel K is what I'd recommend for you guys, and yeah. you know, there's, a, I mean, I, what why I created these this boot line with Scarpa and, and instead of trying to adopt what they currently had is to really get a boot that was designed specifically for the type of conditions and the things that we do as hunters, which is different than mountaineering. I mean, we're going to be, you know, traveling a range of conditions, a range of topographies, not just all straight up and down mountains where a really stiff boot is needed, but uncomfortable, you know, walking the valley floor with with a heavy pack on. And yeah. the other thing I wanted to do is take the all the modern and technical advancements that Scarpa's created on the upper portion of their boots and put it in a combination with the mid and outsole that we did to have the perfect blend. The really spent last couple of years over at Scarpa's facility with the design team, you know, studying materials and talking to them about modern synthetics and boots and how far they've come and all the advantages and getting to experience them. And testing this boot line last year, it's such a massive advantage by using all synthetic versus yeah. boots with leather. And you know, the leather just it, it's going to hold moisture, and when it gets wet, it doesn't breathe as well. It uh, will keep your foot colder, keep your you know keep moisture into the boot, and doesn't dry. So your your boots become heavier. They will create boot stretch. And your your boot will fit differently at the end of your hunt than the beginning, and and then as they dry and and get wet again, that leather will crack and it'll hit your waterproof leather membrane and crack it and split it, so your boots start to leak. And the the boots we created um, obviously solve those problems, but also the synthetic materials are lighter than leather. They dry faster, keep your foot drier because they breathe so much better, and they don't hold moisture. And then we used a, a, a kind of the newest. Um, development in boot fit, which is their sock fit. So your foot just slides in. There isn't the bulk of a tongue, which obviously saves weight, but also just gives you a really comfortable fit around your around your foot. 
and then the material they have has a little stretch and give in it that, that makes that sock fit just incredibly comfortable. Um, mm. And these boots weigh a pound less per boot than like our our Grand Drews that we recommended previous to this for for sheep hunts. And yeah. it's just a far superior product that weighs less than anything that's ever been created for mountain hunting. Awesome! I can't wait to put some miles on them. The, uh, yeah, that always. No, absolutely. I was just going to recommend that, too. I mean, the su- what's great about the Superfeet, it gives you um, rigidity in and around your arch. It just keeps that foot from sliding around. I don't know if you guys have used those in the past, but I won't go in the mountains without them. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've used them, and they, they make a big difference. They do. Jason, what, what about the, so the, that, you know, also have that boot, the Rebel Ultra D- GTX that has the built-in gaiters. Yep. When would you recommend that over the Rebel K? Well, for me, that's what I'm going to take on cheap hunts. Um, it, that was going to be my other suggestion to you guys. Um, it's a more robust boot. It's got a, a larger lug vibram sole. Um, it's more. It's going to have a little. It's going to be a little bit stiffer than the Rebel K. And then mm-hmm. obviously has that built-in gaiter that comes up and covers your can cover your socks, or you can tuck your socks down in there for stream crossings. Um, uh-huh. it, again, it's going to kind of be dependent on what you guys are used to. If you're not used to a stiff mountaineering style boot. I'd recommend the Rebel K. Okay. If you're used to a stiff boot and you like and you know the you, you like those advantages that come with it, then the new Rebel Ultra that we're going to release um, in a couple weeks would be something to consider. And that's like I said, it's it's kind of going to be what you prefer and what you're used to. Um, if you're not used to a stiff mountaineering style boot, I'd recommend the Rebel K because you're going to be doing stocking and the stiffness may feel a little awkward to you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Both you, are great choices. Do you great. always run your Yukon Gators? Always. Yeah, in that country, absolutely. Okay. Do you, do you ever take a backup set of boots on a hunt like this? Like, uh, I mean, mm. like delete at the base camp? I, I never do. Um, only because I spend so much time in my boots and blister my feet before. Um, you know, I don't have an. I've never ever had a problem with my boots in that country. You will want something to cross streams with. So a lot of guys bring Crocs. Okay. Um, I, I bring trail running shoes just because I want a backup pair of shoes that I could do something with. If for some reason I had a problem with my boots, I got a pair of trail runners that I can at least hike out in, which would be a lot better than a pair of Crocs. <laughs> so that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought of it. I was thinking Crocs, but uh, that, I guess yeah. that's a, that could be a big... I guess if you had, you're saying you had like a blowout, like your soul blew out or something or whatever, mm-hmm. something tore loose. Or your feet were so destroyed in blisters that you couldn't get in your boots anymore. At least you got something you could potentially, you know, stock something in or hike in. Yeah. Right. That's how yeah. I look at it. And then the other thing is just crossing rivers with Crocs versus trainers. I just, my feet are better in those. They don't slop around. They don't get gravel inside of it. Um, they feel more secure in my feet. Yeah. Okay. That's why I choose trail runners. Again, it's most people choose Crocs because they're lighter and they're easier to get your fit in and out of. But I always bring trail runners. Do you yeah. know any you know any trail running lines that are you know better in terms of like maybe drying out faster or just you know? I just look for the. I I try to look at weight on those. Um, okay, just find something light and just get something really light. Okay, because you don't need a lot. I mean, you don't need a really robust trail running shoe unless you already have one um, that you like. Mm-hmm. But, I use, I forget the name of the. I think I was running a. Um, 
Oh, there's an outdoor shoe company that builds one that's really lightweight. It's got some sticky <coughs> rubber on the bottom. I can't remember the brand name, though. Is it mm, like a, is it like a king, Jason? It might be. Yeah, Keens are heavy. When you're um, talking about trail runner, are you talking like a Teva, or are you talking like a running shoe? No, I bring a running shoe. Okay, okay. Like a trail running shoe, yeah. Okay. 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 Um, I get, yeah, trail running tennis shoe. Yeah. Like, yep. Gotcha. Okay. Like Merrill's or... Uh, Merrill. Merrill makes a really lightweight one. That's the brand I was trying to think of. Oh, okay. All Merrill's right. got some pretty sticky rubber, and they make some. Uh-huh. Other, they make a pair that's really light and doesn't have a lot of cushioning. Uh-huh. That's the one I bring. Okay. Yeah, and you're not getting waterproof because you're going to be walking in a stream with them. They get wet, so... Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So when, I walk in, when I walk into a retail store that sells running shoes and I take my postal scale with me, they're going to look at me funny. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yep, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. So, and obviously, I mean, I'm, you, you probably have a, a paracord or something in your kit, which we're going to talk about emergency kits here in a little bit, but just to, in case you have a lace blowout or something like that, um, I would assume, right? Um, I do, yeah, I'll bring, I have paracord for, that I use, yeah, as a multi-purpose use, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. you don't you don't take an actual extra set of laces in case that you just in a double duty paracord. I'm sure, right? No, usually if I blow out a lace, I'll just tie a knot in it. Keep going. I don't even yeah. switch it out. Don't even okay. okay. Gotcha. So what? Uh, one of the other things that Tavis had suggested to us, which uh, we have no experience in these kind of boots, uh, which is called pack boots, and uh, he said that he kind of he was recommending that we get a pair of pack boots and put those in our moose kit for the moose hunting portion, and he was saying maybe it was even more so for the cold than it was necessarily for, like, the swampy conditions. But I'm, I'm, we've obviously we've looked at pack boots. We even ordered some and tried them on and sent them back because we were scared. Uh, but <laughs> we, uh, we were curious what your thoughts were on that. So I just did a moose hunt in the Yukon the year before last with my dad with our bows, and, and we wore Chanae pack boots, uh-huh. and their tallest one, it goes, they go almost up to your knee. And yep. for the, it, they're, I mean, they're built for moose hunting. And the swampy stuff you go through, the cold weather, and it's, they are hard to beat for the moose portion of your hunt. Okay. And they are going to keep your feet warm, and you can buy extra inserts. Um, you can switch them out if they get wet. And I know why Tavis is recommending them, because they're awesome for moose hunting. They really okay. are. <clears throat> yeah. And, and if I have, I have cold feet, cold feet issues, that you think this would be something I really would be wise to consider? 100%. Then. Absolutely. And I get the tallest ones they make. Okay. And they have a million little lace hooks, and they lace them up. And But, man, they're, they're outstanding for, for those late-season moose hunts. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Sweet. Yeah, awesome. definitely nothing you want to take on your sheep portion of your hunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll love them for the, for the moose, moose part of your hunt. They're, they're uh, yeah. amazing. Great. Now, when Tavis first told was telling me about all this stuff, and he he, he hadn't yet told me that he, we were going to be changing locations or kind of how we were going to change locations that I could pack an extra bag that I didn't have to carry on the sheep hunt, and I'm I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, I'm I'm going to have to carry that when I'm sheep hunting, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. All right, well let's uh, let's switch gears and uh, talk to you about packs. Um, so. So uh, I'm assuming that for our sheep hunt, the Icon Pro 7200 is going to be your recommendation, right? 
It, yeah, it would. I mean, you could get away with the Ultra 6000, but the, if you're going to be up in that country with, with sheep and caribou, I would probably recommend the 7200. Okay. <clears throat> Jason, I have, I have the, uh, the uh, Icon 7000 with the old-style frame that I used, I think, on my last grizzly backpack hunt, and I, and I loved it. Um, I've been happy with the pack. Um, do you think are there are there reasons why I should consider going you know just going ahead and upgrading and getting the seventy two hundred Icon Pro over the seven thousand that I've got? I've got kids to feed. Yeah, well, that's a good reason, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I got a daughter that's going to get married, and I got to put him through college, so absolutely need an upgrade. And yeah, we don't even discuss it anymore. Okay. <laughs> Let's do a trade in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the newer the newer version of our packs are just upgrades from what you had. The frames, you know, obviously been re-engineered, redesigned with the latest advancements in um, spread to a carbon fiber. It's stiffer and stronger than what your pack currently has, and the upgrades to the pack and the packs and the bags and the suspensions all been upgraded from that from those versions. We work on them every single year, and they've yeah. come. You know, a substantially long way from from the pack that you have, and I'd probably—I mean, one thing you don't want to have is is um, you know an issue with a pack. Not that you'd have it with that because you've used it in the past, and I never have—I've never had an issue with any of our packs. Um, yeah. But you know, it's a good excuse to get the newest, latest, greatest. And we just released our new seventeen packs, and mm-hmm. they're just—they're just awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's—I—I uh, I like the pack. I don't. You know, I uh, don't want to, you know, spend money wastefully, but I also am very willing to spend money if it's going to put me into better gear that would make a difference to me when I'm out there. Well, th- yeah, the and you'll be able to get a, yeah, and you'll be able to add in the other smaller bags on that system, the current ones um, versus uh-huh. the older packs, which you know the modularity doesn't quite work as well with the with the new bags, and so. Yeah. Yeah, just upgrading it to the our seventeen pack would allow you to transfer into the smaller packs too in the modular system. Yeah. Okay. And so, so you, you guys have three frame sizes now on the the new frames, right? We do. Yeah. How tall are you guys? That's a good question. Okay, so I am six two and weigh about two hundred pounds right now. You want the yeah? You want the extra tall frame? Okay. For yeah. sure, I'm a, I'm a I'm a really tall five nine and a half, Jason. <laughs> Do you have a long torso or a short to- torso? No, honestly, I don't know. I I, I guess that's I, I, the determining factor. Then is your torso length, and so we need to measure that. How do you measure that? Well, how what's your inseam length? Uh, thirty thirty uh, thirty two thirty or thirty two. I mean, I guess a, a thirty fits fine, but uh, you want to be in the? I put you in the tall frame. Tall, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Most people yeah. undersize the frames, and it probably has to do with how we tagged them, you know, regular and tall. But uh-huh. you get in that five nine, five ten range. I like to see in the tall, in the large or the tall frame, hmm. okay. especially under heavy loads. As that pack gets weighed down, you want to make sure that geometry is um, at a forty five degree angle off your load lifters down to your shoulder straps, and and that at times when you're in that five nine, five ten range. The the regular size frame is just isn't tall enough for you. you it's okay. there's no problem going taller. It's it's a problem when you don't have a tall enough frame. Huh. Gotcha. Yep. 
Travis. Yeah, you were saying the load the load lifter straps, Jason. You want you want those to be at a forty five degree angle. Is that right? Correct. Yep, coming off the top of the bag down to your shoulder straps, forty five degree right. angle. And you want to test that at home with weight. Yeah. You want to load them up with sixty pounds and then stand in the mirror and look at it. And if it's not at a forty five degree angle, you want to adjust those pack straps until you you have that correct angle. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When, you, when you're packing your pack, uh, you uh, you put lighter items towards the bottom and then heavier stuff higher up, right? Correct, yeah. And you want to get the heavy, yeah. like the food bag is going to be your heaviest, and that goes, you know, against the back panel. Yeah. And we've got those okay. lashing straps of the new packs. You can you can lash it in. And, you know, what I use for food food packing bags, which are outstanding, is our, our zippered meat bags. Yeah, okay. And then I've got... Then I've got them for double duty. Yeah. I keep stuff organized. Yeah. So I'll use a zippered meat bag for yeah. my dehydrated meals and then a zippered meat bag for my individual pack lunches that I'll bring. Okay. Yeah. And then you've got your two zippered meat bags uh, there to be used if you when you knock something down. Yeah. And if you kill early, it's just a good problem that you now don't have a, a meat bag for your food to be in. At that, yeah. At that point, you don't care. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah you can always put your food obviously in your pack or, or yeah. somewhere but um, and yeah. use those meat bags okay gotcha we love running the bow holder too Jason that, uh, that's an awesome product thank you yeah. yeah it works great definitely yeah okay cool Travis you want to talk about electronics other stuff yeah and the other, I guess the other item on the packs too is a rain cover you, you always take a rain cover I guess I'm the worst. I never bring one, and every time I don't, I wish I did. <laughs> okay. Because my pack, like last year, some of the hunts I've had, you know, you get some rain and it dries out. But last year, we just got pounded with rain every day, and and my pack was soaked and just remained soaked. It's it's a good idea to bring one. It's just nice to have a dry pack, yeah. even though my stuff's always in dry bags and protected against moisture. Um, yeah, I'd recommend bringing one. It's okay. so light and small. Yeah, might yep. as well. Yeah. Do you put your pack and all your gear inside your tent at night? I do. Yeah, I'll use okay. one side of my vestibule for my pack and boots. Um, and then on the other side, I'm leaving somewhat open so I can have a stove there in the morning and make coffee and um, yeah. you know, anything else I might have to need that space for. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's, we're going to jump into a, kind of electronics and other gear right now, and so some of this stuff will kind of bounce through pretty quick, I guess. But, uh, you know, do you have any recommendations on, like, a good, compact, you know, rugged camera? Uh, Sony, I, I, I just bought a Sony, and I really like it. And there's a couple different versions that are they're point and shoot. And they range in, in price. The one I bought was pretty expensive. It was over $1,000. Um, I can't remember the exact model. To make one that's in that 700 to $800 range, make another one that's in that, thousand to twelve hundred dollar range and they're compact and they shoot an amazing photo and uh, blaze duros who's my f our in-house videographer and photographer recommended them and okay. um, they don't have removable lenses which i like but they've got a great zoom and they've they use a, a, a mirror system in that sony has patented that just takes an incredible picture it's got a lot of different options to it and it also shoots video as well and it's crystal awesome. clear it's amazing. Jason, could that you maybe... Is your, the best is bang for your buck in photography. Okay. I assume it's... Is it a waterproof camera or not? No, it's not waterproof. No, nope. so I'll put it okay. in a small dry bag and put it in the camera case. Yep. Okay. 
Jason, yeah. could you okay. maybe put a picture of that or something on your Instagram account, or 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 maybe text <clears throat> me a picture if not um, of that camera of what the Sony is? Yeah. Yeah, I'll send you the link. How's that? Perfect. Cool. So, uh, you know, the power cell and solar charger, um, um, I've got the Goal Zero uh, Nomad, I guess, uh, power cell, but I've never used a solar charger. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just curious how, how that how that sucker works, kind of how you use it. You know, is it something you, you leave at camp set up and you just charge your power pack and then you, you know, that's if you're kind of leaving, what leaving your camp and day, day hunting away or... What electronics are you going to bring, I guess, is the question. Well, I guess, uh, obviously, uh, let's talk about that's a good question then. So, I guess I was going to take my iPhone because I, I've gotten to where I run my iPhone in a, a life-proof case, and I like the GPS on my iPhone better than I do my Garmin. Mm -hmm. um, and I like, I like the, having the, the highly detailed topo maps. Like when we went to Alaska, they had... We had one to ten, one to ten contour topo maps of the entire area, and I looked at the Tavis's area, and there's the same thing. We have the one to ten contour topo maps of the entire, you know, and so it's. I thought that that I just found it really nice to have great detailed topo maps, and I, I really I'm very familiar, highly familiar with the functionality of my G, my GPS on my iPhone. I was also planning on maybe using it as double duty with my sat phone and getting like an Iridium Go, um, which mm -hmm. connects Bluetooth to the iPhone, and so. That's that. That's kind of was my plan to run with that, and so I I don't have any experience with uh, GPS watches or any kind of like I guess mountaineering type watches where they have al altimeters and stuff like that. And I didn't know if that was something that I needed to to look into. I was going to ask you about that. Um, obviously, I'm going to take a headlamp, uh, and I was going to take two headlamps. I was going to run the uh, oh I guess it's uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to remember which one of the the pencils it is. Uh, you guys carried it. Uh, or maybe you still do, but it's uh, it's not the biggest one, but it was a little bit smaller. One of the ones, the rechargeable ones. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah. I was going to carry that the little E light uh, as my backup headlamp and extra battery for it. But then, so I guess I'd have several things that needed to be recharged. Possibly the headlamp, the the Iridium Go, yeah, and the uh, iPhone. And the Iridium Go is for um, what does that do? Just connect your iPhone out so you can make calls. Yeah, you can you that. can make calls, send you can make calls, send emails, and send texts. It's really okay. small and light. Um, like I said, Bluetooth, Bluetooth connects to your iPhone, and then you can you can use it just like a sat phone. Okay. Yeah, Travis, yeah. Travis and I used it in Alaska, Jason, and we really liked it because we both of us were able to use the same Iridium Go. You you can only have one phone actually calling at one time, but like while well, if Travis was on the phone, I could queue up text messages. And then as soon as Travis hung up, they they it shoot him out, and so it, it was kind of neat. Yeah, it's it waterproof. It was a it was pretty cool to be able to turn your basically just turn your iPhone into a sat phone. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to be running your iPhone for multi purpose, I definitely bring the solar panel and a battery pack to plug into it at night or during the day. And what I'll do is I'll leave that solar panel out of my tent. The roof mm -hmm. of my tent during the day, and just and then if, or if you're hiking all day, you can you can strap to the outside of your like the upper portion of your pack lid if you feel like you're just not getting enough charge, or you okay. need you need to have a charge. And then I would probably bring and bring a bigger battery pack for that for the solar charger, and then bring a smaller backup battery pack to have in your pack should your phone get low on batteries during the day. You're using your GPS a lot. Okay. Okay. Because obviously, if you're going to rely on that GPS in your phone, you got to make sure you've got batteries. If you're, I mean, I've had 
days in Arctic Red where I hiked for 24 straight hours throughout the yeah. night to get back to camp. Wow. And so you just want to make sure that you've, you're, if you're going to rely on that GPS, you're going to have backup batteries to charge your phone if it's getting run down. Because my phone typically yeah. goes through batteries pretty quick. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. The, uh, <clears throat> that's one of the downsides. Yeah, it is. The good thing is you can put it in airplane mode, and, and the GPS runs perfectly without in airplane mode, and it doesn't suck any extra battery down. So mm-hmm. that is. But uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. well, uh, though, I would stay with it for sure. Um, and having something to call home versus asking the guide for a sat phone <laughs> is always a good thing because they never like to to use it. Tavis kind of discourages it. So uh, yeah, figure with the length of the trip we're going to be on that 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 would be pretty important to our families to be able to stay in communication like that. Yeah, I bring yeah. a sat phone and call home almost every day, just yeah. uh, just for my wife's um, ease her mind. Yeah, peace of mind. Yeah, I'm still alive. Got to keep Mama yeah. happy. Yeah, absolutely. That's nice yeah, to check right. so, Talk to the kids. So we, we we were also going to take as far as just kind of other gear too. I think that kind of covers the electronics. But uh, you know, we were going to take a titanium spoon and a cup, uh, sunglasses, wind checker, um, a book, glassing pad, and trekking poles. And let's talk a bit about trekking poles and ice axe. Okay. Uh, what do you got? Bo- both both are fine choices. I, obviously, I prefer an ice axe, and I prefer having one hand free versus two trekking poles in my hands. It's just what I've what I've gotten used to. What I love about the ice axe is it's a multi-purpose mountain tool, and um, I can dig out tent platforms. I can knock down willows if you're going to have to set up a camp where there's willows you got to break down. Um, you can chop firewood with it. You can use it to clean out areas with, for a runway. Um, I've used it on stocks where I'm on a side of a really steep mountain. I need to pop my pack off, and I have no place to put it, and it's going to tumble down the mountain. I'll bury that front point of that ice axe in and hang my pack on it. And you can't do that with trekking poles. Ice axe is, is more durable than a trekking pole. I've seen people put trekking poles into the into boulder fields and snap them off a lot mm. on several occasions on those hunts. And the 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 trekking pole that we sell is just a lot more durable, or excuse me, ice axe that we sell is a lot more durable than anybody's trekking pole, no matter what brand, just about how it's built. And um, and it's just a really good tool. And I, and I like the hand position on a ice axe versus a trekking pole. You have a, with your palm down, you have a, uh, it's a stronger position if you need to catch yourself in a fall than with your hand at an angle or your arm at an angle, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I like yeah. having one hand free and shifting it back and forth as needed um, mm-hmm. and versus both hands in the trekking poles. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay. And it, looks way, and, it, and it looks way cooler in photos. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so important. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, I know, I, I know Brandon's used one at one point for bear defense. Came across a black bear oh, close God. distance and, and had to hit him with his ice axe across the nose. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think on one of the uh, YouTube videos, Brennan was saying he had trekking poles and you had the ice axe and he had to borrow yours sometimes to clear his tent spot and stuff like that. So, oh, yeah. yeah last yeah. year in the Yukon, we had with a guide and he looked at me like, why in the heck are you bringing an ice axe? And then halfway through the trip, he kept borrowing it and I ended up leaving it with him. He asked if he could keep it. <laughs> I was like, I <laughs> He's like, I get it. Sorry to give you a hard time to start. Yeah, I think it was the first. I think it was the first guy I regret to bring an ice axe, and they kind of, you know, I got off the plane at base camp. They're all looking at me like a nuts. Yeah, 
<laughs> no, but after time. they watch me use it for so many different things, they all end up getting them. Yeah. <laughs> hey, going back on the watches, you had mentioned that you like, uh, on one of the videos, I think, that you like using the, the Garmin GPS watch. Is that still your go-to watch? For the, I used something? it last year. I used it last year, and I actually prefer the Suunto, and I think it might just be because I'm used to the Suunto. Oh, yeah. Garmin has more features to it, but it also ate up more batteries. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to get a lot more life out of my Suunto than the Garmin. Mm-hmm. Either are good choices. I, I, I know a lot, most of the guys here in the office now have switched over to the Garmin, and I think I'm just yeah. old school, and I like to use what I'm used to, and I'm familiar with the, the use of the Suunto. Okay. Both are great choices, and, and that's what I use for my GPS, my compass, my altimeter. Mm-hmm. Yep, got and it. It's simple and easy to use, and mm-hmm. it's on your wrist, so you'll use it. Yeah, and I'll also mark base camp. Also mark, you know, if I kill, knock down a ram, and we have to come back to get them. I'll, I'll, I'll hit GPS coordinates throughout the trip. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I always have a little actual magnetic compass, I guess, to in my emergency kit too. But uh, yep. Boy, the GPS sure is nice. Yeah. So, Brad, you want to talk about emergency kit stuff? Yeah. Hey, sure. Quickly, though, I want to back up a couple. You mentioned headlamps. And yeah, yeah. The the headlamp you guys are chosen. I'm assuming it's our it's our it's our Petzl headlamp without the battery pack on the back, correct? That's yeah, right. Yeah, the battery pack snapped in the front. Right. Yeah. That that's that's probably fine. Um, I wouldn't recommend the little micro e light for backup on your trip. I would recommend two of those. Okay. Um, and the reason is you guys are going to be later in the season spending more time at night, and if you have a problem with your headlamp, you're going to want a, 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 a full headlamp as a backup. Okay. And be incredibly careful of that headlamp when you put it away and making sure that you lock that headlamp so it can't turn itself back on. One thing I don't like about the headlamp is it's easy to throw in your pack and have it get turned on. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that. One of the things I like about the the other headlamp with the with the battery pack in the back, it's got a cable that comes around. You can untwist that cable in a second and pull it apart. There's no way for that headlamp to come on your pack, and well, it's got more power and more and and um, has a more powerful stream, which I've relied on in a lot of situations in that country. And you're Wait, do you remember the then name again, of the night, headlamp, Jason? Yeah, I'll, I'll pull them up real quick. It's the uh, the picture yeah. now is the the now is the is the one you're talking about, Jason, that you can unplug in the back, I think. It is, yep. And I've used that headlamp for years. Um, yeah. And I, I, it's it's got me out of some bad situations in that country. Yeah. I've been in snowstorms and, and, and rain and rain and fog. Yeah. And you know we've gone because you can you'll descend through country for the first time at night with a heavy pack load and a storm, and you could walk yourself right into a cliff situation. Not that you go off the cliffs. But yeah. it can make it just getting down through there really difficult, or you might be descending in a, into a spot that you, that cliffs out and you can't get down and through. And that really powerful headlamp can help identify that. And I, it's, okay. it saved me on several occasions. And that yeah. now is it has just a it's a really powerful headlamp, and I won't go into that country without that headlamp. And then I bring the other one as a backup, which is the okay. And that, that one's the Reactic. Reactic. I think it's what it's called. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And the now is my main headlamp, and the Reactix is my backup. So you don't even take the little E-light then? Uh, not in that country. It's too important to have a, a full-blown backup. 
Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So your yeah. So that so the now would be your primary, the reactic would be your secondary, and that would be your your go-to system for that. Yep. And then you can recharge your your now when you get back to camp at night, which I do. Plug it in okay. and recharge it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the reactic uses batteries, or how does it work? It has a battery system too. And then for the now. Um, all, and I don't know if we carry backup batteries. I've had multiple of them, so I carry, I carry an entire separate uh, battery pack I can plug in on that now. Okay. Out. But if you bring a re if you bring in an extra rechargeable battery for your phone, you could use that as well. Okay. Yeah. Quick was, question would be um, if if you were going on the same hunt like I am next year, but way earlier in the season where you're going to have you know pretty much daylight the whole you know all the time, would you? get as careful about bringing those two headlamps or would you just take one with maybe any you going on the, you're going on the first end of the season right in july right next next year though yeah i would take you're fine with the e-light or no you're fine with bringing the e-light and either the reactive or the now okay just because of you're not gonna, I mean, it's hardly gonna get dark right right yeah it's hardly gonna get dark <laughs> on your trip if at all okay and it almost okay. gets just twilight and then gets then gets light again so yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. It's it's a later season hunts when you're when it's pitch black and you you're in a storm and you're in the fog and you're descending with a heavy pack weight or just getting off the mountain is where you're going to want that really powerful headlamp. Okay. Being being yeah. cavemen, Jason too, we love headlamps, so we can never have headlamps. You can't. That's right. Yeah. Well, they get they get you out of bad situations, as you guys know. You have absolutely, and, and always got to have a backup. Bad too. situation if you don't. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Rule yeah. three in caving. You know, always take three light sources and always take three people on the trip and always tell three people where you're going when you'll be back. Yep. Good. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. That, that was, I'm glad we jumped back into that. Um, so on uh, talk, going into the emergency kit, um, so Jason, what, what, do you, what do you make sure you have in your emergency kit, you know, first aid kit, and then, like your your personal kit, what what all are you making sure you carry in in, in those three little bags? Let's start with personal kit. I bring a you know travel toothbrush. Yeah. Obviously, some toothpaste. I like to brush my teeth a couple times a day, and then I'll bring ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. I will also go to a doctor uh, prior to my hunt, and I'll get a strong antibiotic, like an X pack. Okay. You heard of X packs? Um, X pack uh, or Z pack or Z pack? Excuse me, Z pack. Correct. Yeah. yeah. We're basically yeah. Nuke, nuke your system of any illness you might get, and that's really to protect yourself against traveling up north and catching something. Okay. And you right. take that before you go? No, I'll have it in my pack. Okay. Gotcha. And then also, yeah, and then also, um, and then also bring a strong painkiller like a Vicodin. And get like ten pills for that. Should you have some sort of, you know, you blow out your knee or rupture in the Achilles? Okay. You have something to deal with severe pain. Okay. And then yep. um, I bring, you know, obviously some sunblock and uh, a, a deodorant that has no scent, so like an Arm and Hammer type of deodorant. Mm-hmm. And then I'll bring um, wet wipes. Yep. And I'll dehydrate those wet wipes before I go in. Um, you can either uh-huh. set them outside in the sun. Or you can put them in a microwave, or both. Okay. And I'll take all the moisture out of them so they're totally dry and light. And then I will bring two Ziploc bags for those. And I'll put 
a small portion in one Ziploc bag, add some water to it and rehydrate or put the water back into them. And then I'll leave the others dehydrated and just rotate them as needed. It, saves, yeah. it ends up saving you quite a bit of weight. Okay. okay. Oh. Cool. Um, I will bring blister care. I will bring Band-Aids. Um, I will bring, you know, first aid type of, of product. Okay. Something to do with, you know, cleaning out a cut like a, some sort of cream, antibacterial. Neosporine or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I don't know if you guys have any issues with, like, chafing or have had those problems, but I know um, some guys will bring, like, a small tube of Vaseline. Okay. Which can help in those situations. Gotcha. And then, obviously, I bring at least two tubes of uh, chapstick. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which, if you ask Brenda about his experience in the one sheep hunting along without chapstick, you never leave it at home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, that's um, that's your personal kit there, yeah, and and, and that's your that's your personal kit and your first aid stuff, right? Yeah, personal first aid, and then on on my emergency kit, obviously a really great fire starting source, and there's a trioxane, uh, like a trioxane tablet or mean or what you tell me. Yes, something that you can get lit. And, you know, there's lots of different choices out there. I use mm -hmm. a tube of what's called fire paste. Okay. You can get it from, like, an REI, and I'll squirt that into a, like, an old film canister, a plastic canister like that, and I'll yeah. fill it all the way to the top. But it can be the tablet. It can be the any type of really good fire starter that burns hot is fine. Um, obviously, I, I will bring a torch. The problem with traveling with a torch up north is if they see it in your bag, they'll pull it from you. Lighters I've had go through more than, than if it's the torch, they have a tendency to pull it out of your bags if they see it in x-ray. Um, okay. It'll bring multiple, you know, at least two really good large size lighters. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to bring um, two emergency blankets, space blankets. Okay. And I like two because there's you can use one for shelter, one to wrap yourself up with, or if you need to lay on the ground, you can pull you lay on one and pull the other one over you to keep moisture off your off your body if you need it. Okay, and I guess you're speaking from experience. You've had to use them before. You know, I I haven't had to use my space blankets before, but I have talked to people that have spent the night out with one, and I always say I wish I had a second. Ah, uh, okay. They also make space blanket bags, like a sleeping bag you get into, but I've heard the condensation just gets crazy in those things, and you end up getting wet. Uh, so. And right. you get more versatility. If you have to use you can use a space blanket and, and um, you know, tie it to a tree and create a wind shelter if you need to, and then have yeah. a second one to wrap around your body. Okay. Um, and then that's, that's all I bring for, you know, staying out overnight. <laughs> Besides, I never leave camp without my super down, never leave camp without my rain gear. Okay. And I'm going to have most of my system with me anyways, and so I can I could spend the night out in my rain gear and all my layering system, including my super down, and, and you know some really in most conditions. Um, you know, yeah. obviously it's getting out of the wind. If you if you broke a leg or, or hurt a knee and you couldn't move the space blankets and be able to create some sort of wind shelter with those is, would be important. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Do you, do you take like some of that uh, tenacious tape or any? Uh, kind of I will bring tenacious. Like yes, absolutely. That was I was going to lead into that. Yeah, you want to bring some tenacious tape. It's a great repair tape for rain gear, for gaiters, for your your sleeping pad. If you pop a hole in it, uh huh. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Got it. 
Yeah. And then some uh, paracord. Um, we'll have some, so I'll bring a, yeah, I'll bring some paracord as well. Yep. Okay. Got it. What about your what about knife? Do you just carry a Havilon and that's it, or do you do you carry one of those real light? I think y'all for a while carried those kest, those uh, Kestrel knives. Yeah, I carry. I I like the Kestrel knives, but only because I don't like Havilons. I end up okay. cutting myself too much with Havilon, changing <laughs> the blades out, breaking blades off. I like the function of a a a, a true knife. Uh-huh. Um, and. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, I, I'm friends with Nate at Kessler. Right now I'm using the steel-bladed full-handle knives mm-hmm. over the lightweight titaniums. Um, the, I've used the titanium knives to skin out caribou and sheep in the past, and they work fine. Um, I've just been going to a, a full-blown knife. I seem to like that even better than the, the weight savings that on the titanium. is. You're not, it's not that much more. So Bra- I like a, a true knife. Now, Brandon, he always carries a Havilon because that's what he likes and he's used to. Okay. Yeah, just personal preference on a knife. The Havlons are great, though. I mean, switching out the blades and it's so yeah. freaking sharp. It's it's hard to beat. They are, yeah, yeah. Do you, are, like, you, are you do you take a backup uh, little knife, or do you, or you just take you get your one knife? I use I bring just one knife. Yeah, you carry that on your on your uh, pack waist belt, or how do you where do you no, or you put I, it inside I, your I pack? Just keep, I just now I just keep it in one of the one of the pockets inside the pack. Okay. Yeah. You don't have it out, so, you know, if you have to stab a bear or something, huh? I've got a, I've got a gun and an ice axe I'd use first. Being from Texas and carrying weapons is kind of commonplace around here, so, you know, yeah. if Brad doesn't have a pocket knife on him, there's usually, usually he's something more powerful than a pocket knife on Brad, but, you know, so he... Yeah, the best thing to do if you guys come across a bear is throw the guy in the ground and then run. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you throw him down because I'm sure the guy's going to be faster than Travis and I. Or if he's passing you, tackle him or trip him up. But that's the best bear protection you can have is just throw the guy into the bear's way. Use an ice axe and I can like, throw it like a tomahawk at the guy. Yeah. Knock him down. Yeah. Okay. What? Speaking of weaponry, let's talk about weapons. Um, so, you know, obviously we're, we're taking bows, but uh, we. I'm curious when you go. Um, you know, typically you've, you've rifle hunted, I guess. You, you take a backup gun. No, yeah, I don't. I never bring a backup gun. Never bring a backup gun. Okay. I was just bring one. Uh, really well. I've done a ton of bow hunting too in my life, and a ton of bow hunting backpack, you know, backpack bow hunts. Um, yeah. I've never had to bring a backup bow, or never needed one. Um, but if you guys have a, you guys sound like you may not shoot the same draw length. I mean, leaving one at base camp would be something to consider. Yeah. But you're going to be going for so long yeah. and you got yeah. so much invested. I would probably bring a backup bow and leave it at base camp. They'll fly it in yeah. if there's a problem with your current setup. Gotcha. We right. have planned to do that. And we, we have, we have had to use backups on trips and it's, it's, uh, boy, it sure isn't fun to spend the amount of money that these trips cost and time away oh. from family and work and to not have your weapon. No, you, <laughs> Absolutely, but, uh, and they'll fly it in if you have a problem. They're just in really rough, rugged terrain. It would be easy to slip and fall and um, yep. you know, tear, tear a cable or, or destroy a bow. bow. So yep. I'd absolutely bring it's one. Happened. It's happened. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, do you, uh, how much ammo do you take? And, and I mean, I carry, for your hunt, I would, for, for, for you know, 
So the sheep portion of your hunting, you got to you got to think every missed shot's a, a arrow's gone. I mean, you're not going to recover arrows that are shattered in the rocks. Um, so it just depends how comfortable you're you're shooting and and how much you know how many arrows you want to take as backup. But I would you know I would bring an additional half a dozen arrows at least besides what's in your quiver. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jay knows Jay knows I like to do a lot of shooting and and uh, I'm a fan of <laughs> a lot of arrows. So, yeah, uh, and that and that country's hard to to just stump shoot and practice shoot in because it's a lot of rock, and then mm-hmm. lots no, of no, rocks. And so it's you can go through arrows up there stump shooting a lot. You have to really be careful about picking your your wh- what you're going to shoot at. Okay. Yeah, and also arrows arrows disappear into that moss and you never see them again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that happened to us in Alaska a few times. We we had we had to dig pretty deep to get them out. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, you guys have been there and done that, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, then, uh, just for other people that might listen to this, how much ammo do you take on a rifle hunt? Oh, that's a good question. I usually bring a full box. Okay. On a, on a trip. Um, you'll have to load the magazine about, and then take a box. I'll, I'll load a magazine and bring a box. Okay. Last yeah. thing you want to do is run out of bullets. Or worry yeah. about your next shot. Yeah. Yeah, it's overkill. I've never gone through a whole box, but I've I've had to, um, you know, I've had to use at times like last year up in the Yukon, I shot three shots at my ram and realized on the thir- taking the third shot that my gun was shooting high, and I fell the night before coming in through a storm and some really tough terrain and put my scope into wow. the rocks. So the next day we had to go resight the rifle in. I mean, I've gone through a lot of a lot of rounds, and then Brendan used my gun to kill his ram. And uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's not. It's good to have extra ammo. There's no reason. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because I was kind of the same thing about having yeah. extra arrows too. If I did have an issue where I fell and I was concerned about the bow being still zero, yep. you know, I could I could at least take I could sacrifice a couple of arrows to find out where I was. So or you fall and put your whole quiver of arrows into some some rocks and shatter them. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time yeah. it's happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah, you know, the extra release thing is always interesting topic brad carries an extra release in his pack i always just leave an extra release at a base camp um but uh, you know i i guess i've always thought there's so many single point of failures on my bow like you know the rest or the side or the string or the cable or anything any one of those things fails it's gonna the whole system's bunk anyway so I, but i definitely was gonna have an extra release back at the base camp with my backup bow but brad usually carries an extra release in his i would pack. bring an extra release i'd bring an extra release with you yeah okay you're a long ways from base camp yeah, and it may be a day or two or three before they can actually get a plane in to drop one off. Yeah, good point. Yeah, on the weather, weather may may prohibit you them flying in to drop one off. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You should bring an extra release in your bag. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I got to stalk an Akuz deer once in Arizona because Cody Cody went to put his release on. It wasn't strapped to his bow anymore after we'd been uh, hiking around all day. So. Uh, yeah, I guess good lesson right there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let me switch gears. We're we're getting real close to being wrapped up here, guys, too, with our questions. Um, but uh, we were wondering, like, day hunting away from camp. Like, you know, I, I think they said sometimes we may pit. You know, we'll set up camp and we will kind of day hunt away from it, come back to it. Um, what do you typically take with you when you go out hunting, Jason, and and having your pack? We know. I'm, I know you mentioned like your. You know, your uh, super down always goes with you. You know, obviously your first aid, you know, emergency kit you'd have, rain gear. 
Yeah, I mean, you're going to bring probably pretty much all your clothes except for maybe your backup. You have 145 zip tee and your extra pair of socks. Everything else will go into your pack because you just don't have that much extra. You need to have it with you. Yeah. And then your lunch for the day, obviously, and, you know, that's that's kind of all you'll need to bring. Obviously, you fill up your water, et cetera, but everything else will stay at camp. And then I'll leave. I take my lid off my pack on those day hunts. Mm-hmm. And just oh, okay. the main okay. the main main bag and the new packs have a a lashing system lets the, the the top of the portion of the pack where the shroud is fold over and actually function more like a day pack for you. Okay. Gotcha. And that way you don't have the lid flopping around with gear in the lid. Yeah. And making stocks is out of the way. Yeah, okay. okay. Gotcha. Um hmm. good. Do you do you take a <clears throat> something extra to eat just in case you get stuck out overnight? You know, I typically don't. My, you know, I've, I've no, I, I have not had to spend the night, but I've walked all night and ran out of food. Um, yeah. some, it just depends on how much you're worried about getting back to camp and having enough food. Okay. I usually don't just because I've got every day planned out. And, yeah. And um, I've got enough in there to get me through 24 hours if I need to. Okay. Gotcha. Cool, Jason. What about just what about any other kind of just general tips or the stuff you'd recommend to people traveling? Maybe maybe one one of the questions I thought of was like any tips for like trophy care and getting your trophies and stuff home, and then or maybe like other tips on traveling in terms of like traveling up there yeah. or back or. I mean, I always recommend traveling with your carry on with all your optics, all your electronics, anything of value. They'll be hard to mm-hmm. replace. I we recommend to our clients to travel north and you're in. And gear that you could potentially hunt in if you had to, if they lost all your luggage. I mean, it's tough for a trip like what you guys are going to have all of it, but, you know, I'll travel in solid, or solid attack pants and guide jacket and, and bring some clothes that if for, for some reason your luggage is, is, has disappeared, is not going to be in for a period of time. At least you've got something you can hunt in. I even will throw my boots in my carry-on as well. Mm-hmm. And if I've got boots, I've got optics, um, you know, obviously, if your bow shows up, it's different with a rifle hunt. You can always find a rifle to use. You can at least go hunting until your luggage shows up um, yeah. of some sort. We always recommend that. Um, the, you know, you, something about, you know, you really need to think about luggage weight because you're going to be taking, you know, fly to Edmonton, spend the night. You're going to fly to Norman Wells, spend the night. You're flying to base camp. You know, you're on multiple airplanes to get there. And if you're over overweight on any of your bags, that gets really expensive really quick. Yep. Um, and then the as far as you know, handling the game on the way home with uh, Tavis's operation, they can send it to a taxidermist. They um, or if you're going to travel with your with your um, trophies home, you're going to have to end up shipping them and use a ex- expediter to get it across the border. I believe they'll use Talon expediters to do it, and you can arrange that and set it up in town. You will have to bring your sheep in to have to, and all your animals into the fishing game office prior to catching your flight home. And Talon will okay. get information on that, and that's a Norman Wells, and they'll check in your game. They'll plug your RAM and measure it and um, take all the information off your sheep that they need to record and then check your tags for, your, for export for your other animals you harvest. Okay. Okay. And that takes some time, so you need to have plenty of time when you go over there. Usually, the, you'll have a day before you leave um, in Norman Wells, and that gives you plenty of time to go take.
take care of all your all the game with the fishing game and get the exporting set up. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. You um what uh, so you mentioned weight, you know, is and traveling is an issue. Do, do you carry your your backpack on with you, or do you pack it and then carry just like a little light carry-on backpack? I carry on my backpack. I'll take the lid off uh-huh. and put it inside, and then I'll carry my seventy-two hundred as my carry-on, and I'll put my okay. optics, my boots in it, and it'll fit in the overheads. Okay. If you don't overpack it. Uh, okay, you don't you just put the essentials in. Yep. I just okay. pinch it all down so it doesn't look too big so they don't try to stop you from bringing it on. But I've never, yep. ever had an airline not let me carry it on. Gotcha. Yeah. And waist belt stays attached to the pack. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, when you do that. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. What, what bag, uh, what other bag do you carry your other gear in? Uh, I'll use it. I'll use one of our, uh, for, for a the big portion of my luggage, I use some sort of roller bag just because there's so much gear to get through the airport. Plus, you got your bow cases. Yeah. Um, you know, we're in the development of a whole luggage system for expedition hunts that'll come out probably sometime next year that has a full-blown dolly system where the bags will be removed off that to get in the bush planes. Um, nice. but until that comes out, some sort of roller luggage that you can strap your bow cases to the top of and get through the airport, but that's not so big that you have one bag that weighs 80 pounds and becomes a really expensive bag to travel north with. Yeah, yep, gotcha. Okay. Jason Jason Harrison, giving wives across the world gift ideas for husbands. <laughs> and the take-your-gear bags are, are a great additional bag, too, um, to, to throw gear in. As a, uh, if you're not going to carry your backpack on the plane with you, mm-hmm. um, uh, sometimes I'll check my bag just because if I don't feel like carrying my backpack on, I'll throw it in a take-your bag and and check it, and then I'll bring a, a take you bag for my electronics and optics. Okay. Okay. That's nice about uh, those. It's just they're they're impervious to weather. Ah, uh, nice. Okay. Yeah. That. Yeah. One of those bags would be nice for like uh, putting together for our moose kit. It would be absolutely. And then they could take it in and drop it off. And yeah. And it's out there, and and you don't have to worry about the weather. Plus, when you, you'll see when you get off the, the plane at, at base camp. I mean, the luggage you're going to throw out onto the gravel bar, it's going to sit there, and then it's going to get thrown in the back of a, of a uh, UTV and then take it up to base camp and then put out. I mean, there's, if it's pouring down rain, your stuff will get wet inside of it. So this is nice okay. stuff with your bags and why I created them. Gotcha. Okay, good. Cool. Awesome. Good man, we've run through we've run through all of our our list of questions, uh, man. I I uh, want to make sure I thank you know Jay and you for uh, getting this together. Really appreciate you taking all this time. We've taken a lot of your time to ask a lot of questions, and uh, just can't thank I, you enough for, for for doing this. It's my pleasure. I love doing this stuff. And uh, just the biggest thing from now until the time you leave is train as much and as as often as you possibly can. Don't get hurt doing it, but you cannot be in good enough shape for this trip coming up. And there's just a, and mentally, it'll put you in a position um, of strength versus going in and thinking, God, I could have done more. I should have done more in training and fitness. And, and you start off doubting your, your ability in those mountains. You mm-hmm. come in, in in really good shape. You dial in your kit. You spend the time to weigh things and put together the list like you guys are doing. You know, the preparation for this hunt makes a big difference versus going in unsure for the first time and you step off that plane and you go, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? And I've seen it happen a lot. Yeah, okay. It's the guys that don't 
respect what they're doing and don't have a you know complete grasp of what they just signed themselves up for. And I've, I mean, you see it every year in base camp. Guys are like, you just see this wide-eyed look of like, geez, I had no idea. And you guys have been there and done that, but I always try to tell our customers, <clears throat> preparation gets you mentally prepared for it and gets your confidence going in that you're set up and, and you've got exactly what you need. You're physically prepared. Feet are in shape. You've got the right, all the right gear and equipment, and it just le- lets you step off that bush plane with confidence, and that's a big part gotcha. of it. Yeah. Awesome advice. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. The, la- the last piece of advice I'll leave you guys with, too, is uh-huh. – Walk at your own pace. Mm. A lot of guys will go, oh, I'm going to try to keep up with the guide. I could when I was younger. I Mm. can't anymore. And I will set a pace that I can walk all day, every day. And if the Uh guide wants to go faster, the guide can go faster. And you just he'll keep you in sight and pace yourselves. This is a long adventure. And the last thing you want to do is bonk early in the trip and put yourself in a, in a bad spot physically and mentally. And mm-hmm. just always advise guys, you know, go at a pace that you can walk all day. And don't try to keep up with the guides because you probably can't. And they may not walk right. the same way you walk and travel that country the exact same way you want to travel it. So I, I just set my pace and stay on that, and it, it makes a big difference versus guys trying to keep up with the guides and, and hurting themselves doing it. Uh, well, since, yeah. since my guy's carrying the bear protection, I'm going to have a conversation with him about walking at my pace then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they will. I mean, they will. And you just got to set that pace and, and, and stay with it. And the other thing I try to do is I'm always conser- finding ways to conserve energy until I need it. Um, okay. And, you know, you can, if you just go all out all day every day and, you, and then you spot a ram, you need to cover ground to get to him, you have nothing left, it's not yeah. a good spot to be in. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, man, uh, Jay, thanks so much for setting this up. And Jason, uh, thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to visit with Travis and I. Uh, this has been so, this has been so helpful for us, man. We really, Good. really Good. appreciate it. And, and, uh, hope that you can, uh, bring the family to Texas sometime. And if, if you ever do, just consider, you know, y'all selves as our guests. At the caverns, we'd love to host oh, you. Oh, I'd love to see it. My sometime. kids. Love to see it. How old are your kids? I have a son that'll be ten in October. My daughter turns eight in two weeks. Okay, yeah, they would they would absolutely love it. We've got you know, in, in addition to the caverns, we've got a giant ropes course and zip lines and maze. We got a lot of stuff that the, the you know kids their age would really enjoy. So got to come out sometime. I'd love to come out. So seriously, you you would be our guest, and and then if y'all. Happened if y'all wanted to do some pig hunting while you were here. We've always got wild pigs on the ranch that uh, need shooting, and and uh, we'd we'd love to host you anytime. And when we'll he up on it. When he says pigs, he's he's underplaying. He's he's downplaying pigs. They're everywhere. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, I, love, I love hunting hogs with my bow. It's yeah, so fun. They yeah. were everywhere. For I know sure. California has plenty of them. That- yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, Thanks, if you have any other any other questions, you need anything else from me between now and then, just don't hesitate to email or call. And um, happy okay. to make sure you guys are totally set up. That's awesome, man. We sure appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Jay, Jay, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Yep, for sure, guys. Everybody, thanks. Uh, wish the Weiss brothers uh, the best on their hunt, and uh, Jason, wish you the best on your stone sheep uh, 
uh, hunt coming up and remind all the listeners out there to make sure they go check out uh, kuyu.com and find where the kuyu mobile uh, showroom sites are, are going to be uh, all across the U.S. and uh, get out there and, and get out to uh, see the gear and, and touch it and feel it. And uh, Jason, you can order the gear too right right uh, at the mobile showroom sites, correct? Yep, and and it's and we give a incentive promotional incentive to do so. Okay, and it'll be at their house that week. Okay, sounds good, guys. We have to talk about getting that truck to get uh, down to, down far enough south to San Antonio next year, Jason. He's in San Antonio. It's hidden Texas. I, I don't know if it's hidden. We're hidden San Antonio. Well, let me. Yeah, see. I know. No, no. You're, I think you're you're not quite that far south. I think you're getting to Dallas or Houston. I think, but yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Lubbock, yeah. Lubbock, Dallas, and and Houston. Uh, well, guys, uh, thanks a lot, Jason. Thanks for your time and uh, just another yep, case of thanks, uh, you know customer service and and working with your your peeps. It's uh, obvious that you care and and that's uh, well noticed in the industry. So I appreciate that. And Travis and Brad, uh, we'll catch you later. And uh, thanks for uh, preparing those questions and good luck on your hunt. Okay. All right. Thanks, Jay. thanks, guys. Y'all have a good day. Take care. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.